Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Welcome to the Punk Rock MBA podcast. What's up, everybody? I'm Finn McKenty. This is the Punk Rock MBA. Today's episode is the audio version of my appearance on No Jumper from, uh, I don't know, maybe a month or two ago by the time you hear this. Super fun conversation with Adam. As a lot of you guys may know, he is an old hardcore dude, a couple years younger than me, but, you know, still pretty old because that's how old I am. So we talk about hardcore. We talk about, I don't know, just all kinds of interesting stuff about just, you know, being a creator from his perspective, from my perspective, uh, talk about some BMX stuff. I don't know. Good conversation. If you know Adam, then uh, you probably know where he's coming from. I was really honored to be on there. Super cool to see how he does things. Really inspiring too. He's got like six or seven full-time employees now. Got to meet everyone. So if you like this conversation, make sure you check out his channel on YouTube. There's also a podcast version of it, which I didn't know until recently, but check it out if you want more conversations with people like Selena Powell and Stupid Young and me. And if you would like to support the show, there's a couple things you can do. You can share it on social media. That helps us get the word out. You can also buy some merch. There's a link to that in the show notes. And if you really, really like us, you can support us on Patreon. There's a link to that in the show notes as well. And with that out of the way, let's get into this awesome episode. No Jumper, coolest podcast in the world. And today I'm here with Finn of the Punk Rock MBA. And I have a challenge for you. Try to explain what you do in a concise fashion so that all the super casual viewers right now who aren't planning to stick around might <laughs> latch onto this and want to see it through. I make videos about music and alternative culture where I unpack and try to explain trends, for example, why a given genre or band was or wasn't popular. You know, for example, uh, you know, like Mall Emo of the 2000s that all blew up in, you know, 2008 or whatever. Then by 2015 or 16, it was dead. What happened? Those are the kind of videos that I make. Definitely. I got into your shit because I think I was trying to just explain Earth Crisis to someone. And, you know, I have a hard time with that. That's such a a strange feeling. And I I bet that you feel this way from time to time where I feel like I can't explain my youth to the people that I interact with on a regular basis because they don't know about straight edge. They don't know about hardcore. They don't know about veganism, or at least in the context that it existed then. And somehow your channel has like allowed me to not only be able to explain that maybe to other people, but also like watch, I just watched a video about like the death of Ska and I very much like lived through the death of Ska, but I never really examined it or really thought about like why that genre just fell off in such a spectacular fashion. Yeah. So like Earth Crisis, you know, how do you explain that to somebody who wasn't there? Like imagine if Pantera wrote songs about how cool vegan terrorists were. Mm -hmm. (laughs) It's a weird thing. Like I told somebody the other day, I'm like, yeah, I was vegan all through high school. And they're kind of like, what? Like, back then in the 90s and i'm like yeah and they're like why i'm like well i just thought it was the coolest thing in the world because of this band i'm gonna be honest with you i would have told you at the time that it was about animals and right uh you know whatever but uh yeah that's why i stopped being vegan because i realized i was just doing it to be trendy not that i it's not that i didn't or don't still agree with it i Mm. get it but 
to be honest, I was just doing it because it was the cool thing to do. And that's a pretty dumb reason to be vegan. How many years did you put in? Five. And then I was vegetarian for a few years before that, too. Okay. So like 14 to 21 or so. Do you look back at that as kind of like, you know, your, your youthful, idealistic self that has now been replaced by your sort of cynical self that doesn't expect the world to get any better? I don't want to. I don't want to put it that way. It, it, I, I don't think anything that I thought was wrong. Mm. Um, well, for one, I also wasn't healthy. I was like a junk food vegan because back then it was way like now you go to Panera and you can see what's gluten free and vegan. And you know, back mm. in 1996, really, if you're unless you wanted to cook for yourself, you're going to either eat junk food or nothing. Mm. And so I was eating a lot of junk food and, you know, that's just not healthy. So I got all fat and it just wasn't good for me. Yeah. When I look back on it, I remember just going out riding bikes and it taking forever for me to like feel healed up after like right. a strenuous day. Like that, that was what really turned me off to it was I was just eating so much goddamn like, uh, you know, Boca burgers and protein powders and just really trying to like fix whatever it was that like clearly was not giving me the stamina that a lot of my friends had and at a certain point i was just like fuck this and uh felt way better after so yeah. I, to me it never really i don't know i'm not sure how how popular veganism is these days although I, i've seen like i was seeing an article about this fucking restaurant in new york that decided they're switching to a, a vegan menu and i don't know apparently this restaurant doing it it just was a really fucking big deal and people are just freaking the fuck out about it. Like, like I don't know. Do you see it as being on the rise? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Mm. I mean, the fact that like impossible, what, what is impossible and beyond are both worth right. like tens of billions of dollars. Oh, they are, huh? Yeah. They're oh. massive, like probably way overvalued, but that's another conversation. But, you know, there is billions and billions of dollars to be made off of veganism now, which if you're vegan and, you know, you should be happy about that. Um, the part that I... Uh, find interesting about you know the earth crisis thing is just how like super militant they were uh -huh. you know for anybody who doesn't know like they literally wrote songs uh, like tons of songs about like burning down animal testing labs and <laughs> about their friends who you know were eco-terrorists who like were doing federal time for <laughs> yeah. blowing up whaling ships and stuff but i thought that was so goddamn cool it, as a it, kid it was cool and you know to their credit it's like obviously a little bit out there mm. but if you want to be about it, that's the logical conclusion of it. Mm -hmm. You know, if you think that uh, eating meat is murder, then it is logically justified to kill somebody or, you know, in the defense of an animal. If you believe that, I'm not saying you should. But, you know, they were at least logically consistent. Uh, and, you know, I still respect that. The other thing about weird is that there's so many genres that we basically, the, the, the defining bands of those genres are basically the ones who are the most attached to violence and murder like that's true of black metal mm. for sure that's like the prevailing narrative um when you think about like vegan straight edge music what do you you go to earth crisis because they were like the most violent the, the most the who came the close to the closest to literally endorsing burning down the mcdonald's yep. yeah and certainly true of rap Mm. Oh, yeah. And especially in these days, it's like, you know, these days, like you just see the audience gravitating to the realist mm -hmm. street rappers to such an extreme degree. And it's like really tough to get by if you're just sort of faking it. Yep. Yeah. I, I mean, I think that's just human nature. We're drawn to darkness. You know, we're drawn to 
violence because we should be you know i think of everything as in terms of like being adaptive to being a caveman so back then you needed to know where the saber-toothed tiger was because he might jump out and eat you mm. uh, less important to remember how pretty the sunset was yesterday because that's not vital for your survival so i think we're you know programmed to pay attention to darkness and violence and it, it makes sense evolutionarily that if there's some people out there who are wild violent unpredictable people your brain's going to say pay attention to what that guy's doing because you never know. You might be next. And that's really what, what sucks for Scott is that there just wasn't enough murder. <laughs> I mean, there was probably somebody, you know. Right. There had to have been. But if you could have one. dug in on that narrative and like when you talked about Scott, it was always just about the dude that Gwen Stefani killed. It would just that's be. Right. Right. I mean, you can't prove that she didn't. Yeah, that's a good point. Maybe you should work on that. That's true. I'll, I'll ask her people. Talk about the. Uh, Okay, well, actually, let's go all the way back. Give us sort of an overview of uh, your involvement in punk and hardcore and all the, all this music before you actually get to the stage of deciding to start a YouTube channel. Yeah. Well, I discovered it from MTV back in, like, 1989. Uh, I saw this thing about suicidal tendencies because they were banned from playing in L.A. for, like, five years because of gang violence at their right. show. So this would be an example of what you're talking about. Is, and I was like... That's fucking cool. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, definitely. I didn't know anything about the suicidals, and you know, I didn't know anything about it other than those guys look like the people in the in in colors and blood in blood out. I told ICP, I'm like, I basically became a fan of you guys because it was on the news that Disney took your shit off the shelves, and that was like, I have to hear it. Exactly. Mm. So I saw that story about suicidal tendencies, and I was like, I don't know what this is, but it's cool. And I took my birthday money and I bought their tape and that was kind of you know one thing led to another and and that was that i discovered that they were you know part of this thing called hardcore and then i think i get into black flag after that and circle jerks and all that kind of stuff uh then somehow or another i think through maximum rock and roll but i don't really remember i discovered like hardcore which uh at that time was a very different thing i mean punk and hardcore now kind of go hand in hand i think but back then they were very very different scenes mm. um really musically very similar but then like the scenes and the values were so different and yeah. that's my recollection of, of as a kid is that i liked both of the bands but i just wanted nothing to do with like the fucking guy with the mohawk and the studded vest like to me that right. was the opposite of what i was into even though really knowing everything i know about music it's like two ticks right. on the clock away from in the whole entirety of music you know yeah, exactly. I, mean, I thought that. I mean, I thought the Mohawk guys were cool when I was twelve. Right. But then when I discovered that there were the camo shorts guys, right. I was like, that's way cooler. And right. I got into like Youth of Today and Gorilla Biscuits and Judge and all that kind of stuff. That still remains where my heart is at in terms of like the when I think about liking hardcore, I think about that sort of basket of bands mm -hmm. for sure. It was it was a good time. I mean, it was new, and there's still tons of people doing that same kind of thing. Mm. Um, but it's. It's a recreation of something from back then, which is fine. Um, but I think any time that, you know, something is a recreation, to me, it's less interesting than... It's like, why would I listen to a recreation of that thing when I could just listen to the thing? I didn't have to be in hardcore for that long for that to, like, kick in for me and start to be like, oh, fuck, this next crop of bands are saying the exact same shit as the bands I was into a year and a half ago. And, you know, I was just like... It, it just didn't take that long. Like, I, I really, like collected seven inches and shit for maybe like six months and then <laughs> right. i was just like this is stupid why the fuck do i own all this shit yeah well i mean now you've moved on to whatever the what do you call the the, the thing yeah, the those, kendama not a go. bad business to be in way cooler you. than seven inches right yeah i mean you got to put some shit in the web store and uh that, that was like honestly how it started was just like well we all fuck with this stuff so yeah. we might as well uh make some and just throw it in the web store and then it just sort of kept going yeah yeah i i, I collected records for a while and then kind of the same thing i was just like 
why do I need to collect these? You know, especially after like the internet mm. was available and I could just download the stuff. Like, why do I want a bunch of vinyl? Like, if you've ever moved with boxes of records, they're like fucking a black hole. It's like so unbelievably dense. The last thing you want is a bunch of vinyl if you're moving around a lot, which, you know, every hardcore kid moves every six months. You don't <laughs> want to drag your shit around. But so do you, uh, did you um, ever get really into the the collecting or do you do you feel like you have any reason to have any uh like physical copy of anything no. like you don't do that at all anymore me neither i i don't own a single record now i have one cd that a friend of mine gave me years ago um and that's it I, i'm just not into physical stuff we were getting brunch the other day and there was a fucking cd store right next door and it seemed like it was like a relatively popular like mom and pop type cd store in burbank um uh i was thinking about going in and just thinking about how much joy i got from going to newberry comics as a kid and shit and i was just like there's really nothing in there for me because even like if i see a cd that i want it's like i'm literally gonna take a picture of it and just remember <laughs> to look it up on itunes later and you know it's just it sucks that that's kind of been removed i used to love going to barnes and noble and yeah. still when i see barnes and noble there's a little piece in my brain that's like oh i'm gonna go in there and it I have to look at the magazine section for like five seconds before I'm like, never mind. This is not yeah. what I used to get from this. Yeah, I do the same thing with Barnes and Noble. I you know see all the books, I get excited about it, then I just go look it up on my phone and buy the Kindle version on Amazon because I don't want a pile of books in my house. Right. Uh, it, it's interesting that that sort of like consumerist collective, you know, collecting sort of thing goes hand in hand with hardcore. Mm. You know, it's a very in, in metal like all those like kind of rock genres. They're into very very into like collecting shit. But then also charging nothing for it. <laughs> right. Like I was like, how, when I figured out how much it costs to make a seven inch, and I'm like, you guys are selling this for four dollars. It's like the worst business I've ever. Four dollars. That's a king's ransom. What? How much do they three, go for? Three dollars. Three dollars. Yeah, man, you can't charge four dollars. You get kicked out of the scene for that. And then I would, I would look through the vinyl section at the at the record store and realize like, oh, there's a Bright Eyes record for like twenty dollars. <laughs> that like this is a pretty close genre, but then they clearly have no issue with just charging right. whatever for it. Right. Yeah, there's a, there's a lot of that kind of small time thinking and less in hardcore, definitely more in punk. And that's definitely something I never resonated with. Right. I used to argue with my friends who were in bands that they should sell their shirts for more. And yeah. they just could not like it was just impossible to like make any sort of ground on that. I'm like these people want to support you or like you could print on better shirts. Like all these hardcore bands I knew were printing on the worst shirts ever. And I'm like, this is why you walk into a show and you guys all look like a bunch of fucking scrubs is because the yeah. shirts all suck. Cause you guys are charging $5 for them. The short and wide yes. Gildens or whatever is, is BMX like that. Mm, at a certain point, BMX riders realize that because they're hunched over the whole time that they need longer shirts. So the American Apparel summer shirt around like 2008, 2009 became the shirt and then they switched it up. So all of a sudden the fit was completely different. And a lot of those old videos from that era, the, the dudes look so ridiculous because they would also like when your shirt was wet, you would kind of like put your foot on it on the ground and pull on it. So it would be stretched out even longer. And I mean, it it just looked insane. Quite a look. When I look yeah. back on it. Well, now. Are, are they very like dogmatic as far as uh, you know? I did some work in like skateboarding and stuff years ago, and it was horrible because the second you make a fucking dime, everyone comes out of the woodwork to hate on you. Mm. Is it like that in BMX also? Kind of, except nobody makes any money, so there's not that much to be mad about. But I mean, I saw that transition so much from when I, in like you know the late '90s and stuff, and like hardcore was the the choice of music and like indie rock and emo and all that shit, and like there was this sort of like 
dream of being in your 20s and you just sort of ride your bike every day at the skate park and that's your lifestyle and i just don't see guys in their 20s really gravitating towards that in the same way like i see bmx as being such a youth focused thing and then like people just are kind of out of it by 18 and it just the, like that dream and the the culture associated with it in a lot of ways i kind of blame what i did by taking like you know creating a bmx blog and sort of putting all that information there because i feel like before that it was all this shared collective community-wide moments when videos would come out or magazines and there was this shared culture and then all of a sudden the internet comes out and there's a period of time where like everybody's looking at the same website so they sort of all fit into that but now i feel like bmx is so fractured with just like different youtube channels or different like influencers that people pay attention to and there's there's just almost nothing shared as a community and that's kind of like really broken the culture to me right is is so it's like the same as skateboarding when like you know plan b would put out a new video and for six months that's what everyone was talking about like did you see this part and right and now it's all same. instagram clips and there right. are like big moments in terms of videos but what i will say about skateboarding is that it's just still so much it's it's a real business you know like it's actually like the, the big brands do volume and like you see the brands support thrasher so they still like even if not everybody sees Thrasher and shit, it still exists and it's this important shared collective thing that people all can sort of have as this token of what the the soul of of skateboarding is. And BMX is, has just kind of gotten so small and, and fractured that I just don't feel like that exists in the same way. I wonder why BMX didn't get more popular because I remember when I was a, a little kid, like when mm-hmm. that movie Rad came out, right? Like BMX was pretty cool, mm-hmm. and you know, by like the early '90s, skateboarding was like 500 times bigger and cooler, and BMX, at least to me, seemed yeah. like it was had kind of fallen off. I wonder why that is. I mean, I think a lot of it is the fact that it's just way harder to enter into. Like a BMX bike back then, in particular, was really heavy and really expensive. And skateboarder boards, in comparison, I mean, you could pick it up and bring it into the mall with you. It's like a hundred bucks. You can buy it at the mall. It's not like this complicated thing where you have to be replacing all these parts and stuff and then have to like be a mechanic yes it, being a part-time mechanic was a huge part of riding bikes back in that day and, and and even before my time it was even worse from what i hear but like with skateboarding it's just much more casual and like all of the pop culture looks that sort of shined upon skateboarding whether it was like tony hawk becoming everything or the tony hawk video game series taking off or rob deerdick or jackass and all of these things like they were just all skateboarding moments. You know, Ryan Sheckler is a skateboarder. He just didn't have an equivalent of like... And, and the times where I've seen BMX start to like peak again is oftentimes when there is a YouTube influencer type person who comes out in BMX and like gathers a big ass fan base that actually goes outside of BMX. And then... But the thing is that those people always fucking end up basically getting out of it because it's such like an unwelcoming or sort of niche right. scene you know i've right. seen that happen multiple times and i'm pretty much an example of it the story of every subculture yeah you know you think it's cool and then you're a new kid and you get close to it and everyone's a fucking asshole to you <laughs> and unless you're like a real diehard that's willing to put up with the hazing uh-huh. you know uh or you get some sort of like cool older brother that like shepherds you into it then you're like you know what fuck this i'm gonna go back to playing video games like the other kids and there being no money in it is like a self-fulfilling prophecy because then the people like like I would see my the people I was looking up to who were you know pros when they're like 18 19 20 whatever and then all of a sudden they're like 21 22 and they become a construction worker right and that wouldn't happen in skateboarding because there actually was enough of an industry that if you're really great and you were a productive pro then 
the industry would find a way to like take care of you. But the, for all these guys, you know, to get 50 grand a year being a construction worker, it was just like, am I going to ride BMX and be fucking destitute for my whole life? Right. It's just kind of stuff. Yeah. Does it does it fuck up your body as bad as like motocross and stuff? I mean, it can't be as bad as motocross. When but. you go to a motocross event, you see so many motherfuckers in wheelchairs and shit because <laughs> right. like it's really depressing and they're like eating out of tubes and shit. And yeah. it's like BMX is not really like that. But I will say that there's been a bunch of the biggest most marketable or like legendary bmx riders have had really tragic fates whether it's like falling and crashing and never being able to really ride again dave mira killed himself mm -hmm. there's a bunch of other fucking bmx legends of his era who killed themselves like the the concussions and shit yep. were so gnarly too that there's people like who are legendary bmx pros from the 80s and 90s who i've met them before and the in the, the kids watching at home have no idea but they're fucked. Oh, I'm sure. I mean, that CTE is real. It's oh, been yeah. decades of slamming, you know, on concrete. And inventing all these tricks on these shitty-ass bikes back then and just smashing your head into the fucking ground over and over. What a way to earn a meager living. Okay, enough about <laughs> me. Um, so how did you start to, like, did you get? Did you join a band? Or, like, what was your fandom like through high school? And, and the interesting thing about you is that you, instead of sort of burrowing into one niche, you seem like you always had sort of an expansive interest in... Uh, aggressive music in general or music in general yeah i mean i i started i was into rap before i knew what like hardcore was i discovered yo mtv raps when i was like nine mm. so i was into like you know rakim and big daddy kane and epmd and you know all that kind of stuff of the mid 80s and then when easy e and nwa came out i thought it was even cooler because of exactly what we talked about you know they were sort of the first people to be like really present themselves as like violent dangerous scary people mm. uh and as an 11 year old i thought that was super cool so you know i was into all that stuff too um and uh yeah i mean i i kind of have always been into just anything interesting i was never in a band or i mean, it was in like just shitty local bands and stuff but never like a real band i never really wanted to be necessarily because i've always been more interested in um, like documenting it than mm. I am doing it myself. And I've always like been into my career outside of music and being in a touring band, you know, that, that has to be your whole life. So I've always just had other priorities aside from that. So were you doing creative stuff? Were you writing and, and how did you plan on being a documentarian of the culture? Well, I didn't plan it. I just did it. You it know, just I mean, started, back, yeah. yeah, I just started doing it. I mean, back then, I when I was like 15 or whatever, I started doing fanzines, which for anybody listening who doesn't know what that is, it's like a, a DIY magazine that would, you would, you know, cut and paste yourself and then photocopy it, you know, go to your friend's dad's office or something when he's not there and steal a bunch of copies and then you hand it out to your friends or sell it through the mail which is what i did mm -hmm. i sold a few thousand of them through the mail by the time i was like 19 or 20 which you know in hindsight is like actually harder than anything i've done on youtube because youtube has that growth engine built into it if right. you want to sell a zine you got a pile of them in your basement and it's like what are you going to do with it now? How so, were you selling them primarily? Uh, there was a zine back then called Maximum Rock and Roll, which yeah. I think is still around. Uh, well, I, th I think it, didn't it come out in the news that they got rid of it recently or something? Oh, maybe. I don't know. I don't know. I, I, I used to look at that thing, too, and I would read album reviews of these punk albums, and I would just read 10 reviews in a row, and I'd be like, this these people are having an impossible task here of making these bands sound like they don't yeah. sound exactly the same. <laughs> right. Yeah, I did the same thing. But right. if you sent them something, they would review it, like mm -hmm. uh, records or zines. The The zine section was always smaller than the record section, so it's easier to get noticed. Mm. So I would send them my zines, and I don't know how many people read Maximum Rock and Roll, but every time they reviewed one, I would get a couple hundred orders for it. 
and you know make pen pals and all that shit and then i would also like cut out i made little like flyers uh, and every time I sent out an order or a letter to somebody, I would include a bunch of flyers from my zine in the envelope and say, please share this. Mm. You know, same thing as like a SoundCloud repost, basically. Uh, and so then they would spread that for me. And that's how I did it. And I sold a few thousand of them. And then the Internet started to become more viable, you know, by like the late 90s, early 2000s. And so I started doing stuff on the Internet instead. Mm. I, I don't have any attachment to print. I just want to get the stuff out there. And if I can do it on the Internet, that's great. So I started doing that and I did blogs well into the 2000s and, you know, I've just always, I'm just the sort of person that I, I, if I see something interesting, I want to talk about it and I'm going to do that, you know, in a magazine or a blog or YouTube or whatever format is happening at the moment. It's crazy because when I look back at the time I spent going to shows and shit, I feel like a lot of the people that I went to shows with were basically like professional friend collectors. Yes. That was just a big part of hardcore is like. Oh yeah, I know that band. Like the drummer's cool as fuck. Right. Like, and when and when I think about you like making three thousand pen pals from selling these copies, it really like that that scene, especially at that time, it really felt like you had like a personal relationship with everybody sure. that you were putting that out to. And it must be like contrast that to having three hundred thousand YouTube subscribers, where you know even just the comment section on one video might be almost too much to to consume on some of I it. I still read all of them mm. for that same reason because I, I know that maybe I can't do that forever. I mean, if I keep growing, then maybe I can't. But I still think of it the same way. You know, it's it's a conversation to me. It's not. I'm not one of these people. You know, a lot of people do post and ghost. They just post their shit and then they're out of there, which right. totally cool. I understand that. That maybe a good idea for your mental health but i still think of it that way as like i want to get to know people and i want to have a conversation so i read all those i read all my dms um you know it's impossible to reply to everything but i read all of it for mm. that reason because you know I, I don't understand how anybody can like stay on top of what's happening if you're not reading that stuff that's the reason why i know about things is because i see 50 people in my comments mention some artist and i go hmm i better check that out right or i i almost never rewatch a full interview of mine but i'll read the comments on every single one and that's basically how i get to relive what was notable about that interview right. the, the stuff that i said that people didn't like the stuff that was boring the stuff that you know i, I could spend a full hour sitting there and rewatching the whole thing which would be like torturous for me but it doesn't matter what you think it. of it it matters exactly, what they right. think and that's why if you have 50 comments telling you that you sounded like an asshole even if you really in your heart of hearts don't think that you were being an asshole, you, you still have to take something from it. There has yeah. to be something about how you're presenting yourself, even if, you know, like if you were taken the wrong way, then you were taken the wrong way. You have to take that into account. Yeah, absolutely. You know, I mean, at the end of the day, I mean, I suppose you can choose to disregard comments if you want. And sometimes I do, mm. you know, uh, especially lately. I've just been leaning into the fact that my opinions mostly are the opposite of my audiences. Like my audience loves ska and new metal and I fucking hate both of them. <laughs> but that, that's OK. I mean, we'll ha we don't have to like the same things. You know, mm. we can still have a conversation. I'm not one of these people that if you like different shit than me, then I don't then we can't be friends. Like, I don't give a fuck what you like or don't like right. you know i just want to have a conversation and so i've just been kind of leaning into that and for anybody that you know gets really upset that i don't like the same things that they like i guess maybe they shouldn't watch my videos then and they should probably go work on themselves a little bit because you really shouldn't be that upset about what a stranger on the internet likes or doesn't like right when you started doing this content did it seem like almost kind of a like a really frightening task to take on because of the fact that hardcore and punk are really such like 
insular little communities that don't really I, I would just imagine that the, the average opinion of vloggers in those communities is not great uh, is that wrong I'm a, I, I, that's just my assumption I never really consider I don't I'm trying to put this the right way you're not exactly Roman Atwood <laughs> well yeah that too but um, I don't um, it's not that I don't care what people in hardcore think because I do care it's the people who I care about I already know mm. you know what I mean like it, 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 because hardcore is such a small world that there's a list of a couple dozen people whose opinions in hardcore I value and I already talked to them mm. and what some random 19 year old you know in Belgium thinks of me you know I, like I said I do read all the comments and I and I, I take them into account but that's not going to keep me up at night mm. you know what I mean um, but the thing about hardcore is that it, for sure anybody in hardcore you know is at most one degree of separation away so I do watch what I say in hardcore a little bit more than I do in other genres, not because I'm scared someone's going to beat me up or something like that. It's because I don't want to be an asshole to somebody mm. by mistake, you know, because, I mean, I don't know the drummer of terror, but we have nine million friends in common, mm -hmm. you know, and I know that if I said something about them, he's going to hear it and I don't want to be a dick to him, you know? Yeah. I mean, there is a little bit of that in hardcore, at least where it's like, oh, like there, there are people who would like beat the fuck out of me if I say the wrong thing about them in a video. Yeah, but <laughs> I, I'm not... I mean, I'm not. Rap is like that, also. Yeah, I'm not worried about. I mean, you, of all people, you've you've had plenty of run-ins with that, and uh, I'm I'm not worried about that. I don't think anybody in hardcore is going to find my house and come try to beat me up. You know. Mm. Yeah. Back on the internet, the early days of the internet, it felt like in hardcore that was a very real possibility, though, or at least people were sure. excited about the idea of it. <laughs> sure. I mean, the whole B9 board. I mean, there yeah. was like what a fucking 900 page thread of rumors and gossip and all that stuff and you know that's one part of hardcore that i don't really like is this fascination with like third hand stories of how so-and-so beat up so-and-so and blah 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 and you know half the time it's completely false most of the time there's some element of truth but just people have nothing you know it's the same shit as rap people have nothing to do with it speculating about what did or didn't happen and it's just like you something better to do with your life but rap is even more fucked up because there's like a financial incentive because you can make a fake news video on youtube and get like a million views and make thousands of dollars off of just basically titling a video like something that did not actually happen question mark yeah or, or not even like i see it all the time and it'll be like such and such shot at such and such and i'm i know these people wow. and i'm like reading the title at first like dear god and then i'm like that didn't happen. Wait a minute. No, 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 no. This is not, you would not get the drop right. on this story if that was how this went down. Yeah. Yeah. As opposed to being some kid on the bridge nine board, just wasting your fucking life, making up stories about somebody in a band that you've never even met. Right. But it's a, you know, I mean, I thought that stuff was cool when I was 17 too. And you know, I would nerd out all of these stories, but oh, I heard so-and-so got in a fight with so-and-so. And, -so, and mm. I thought that was cool when I was 17. So if it's kids, I get it, but you know, people need to grow out of it. Yeah. Definitely. No, that was, I feel like that's a big part of the appeal, though. Like, when I'm, when I, there was a Rolling Stone feature about, like, I forget what, what the context was, but there was an article about this one random ass vegan straight edge kid from Syracuse, and he's a huge Earth Crisis fan and shit. And I just remember reading that and just thinking that this was like the coolest craziest shit on earth because they had a little blurb about him like fighting a guy outside a bar for, <laughs> right. for drinking or some shit and it just like the danger element of that was just so attractive Which to me probably didn't even happen probably didn't happen right. like that yeah yeah so many stories oh they beat my friend up for smoking i have asked so many people who are like notorious assholes who are the kind of people who would do that sort of thing right it's like hey have you ever seen this happen like this did, is this a thing and 
everybody was like, no, never happened. Right. Definitely. What, um, what was the, the, what were your first uploads and what was your original idea for the channel? And did you, did it occur to you that this was going to be a, a very big undertaking and that it was going to take a shitload of work, but that it would probably, did you think it was going to be successful? Uh, I, I said it is going to be successful period mm. because I know, especially at that point in my life, I mean, I was old enough and had done enough things and built enough things that I believe in myself enough that I believe I can, you know, do anything reasonable. I mean, I can't be a pro NBA player, but mm. you know, as far as anything in business, I believe that I can do it if I really put my mind to it. So I said, I'm going to do whatever it takes to make this successful. Maybe that's going to take a month. Maybe it'll take two years, but either way, I'm not going to fucking stop until it is successful. Mm -hmm. uh, the original focus of it was more about business, which is actually what I've spent the majority of my life kind of focusing on. I mean, that's what I was school for. You know, I've always put more energy into that side of my life, you know, my career and building and running businesses than anything related to music. Um, so that's originally what I thought I was going to talk about, but it turns out nobody gives a shit what I have to say about that. <laughs> right. Uh, which in hindsight makes perfect sense to me. I mean, it's like, you know, people want, uh, you know, there's a, a saying they say, you know, vitamin versus painkiller. People don't want vitamins. They want painkillers. So I mm -hmm. get it. You know, people don't want to hear some guy talk about how to run a business because that's boring. They want to hear stuff about music because that's entertaining. It's also like you're going to be successful doing the stuff that you're especially equipped to do. Yes. And there's a lot of people that could tell me how to run a business. And a lot of them have made billions of dollars. Yep. Whereas like you eventually end up honing in on, well, I guess I do know a fuckload about punk and hardcore and all this exactly. shit. Maybe that's what I should do. Yeah. That's a hundred percent right. Mm. I mean, I can certainly credibly talk about business, right. but not to the same extent that I can talk about music. I mean, there's people like Jason Calacanis out there who, you know, or fill in the blank Naval and fucking Chamath and all these people who have, like you said, built multi-billion dollar businesses. People should listen to them, not me. Right. You know, they are uniquely qualified. Like, you know, people ask Chamath about Facebook. He's like, no, no, no. Let me fucking tell you how that works. Cause my team built it. You know, that's the sort of person who can talk about authority about Facebook. I can talk about authority, uh, talk about music with authority, you know, because what you said, because I was there, because I know people, blah, blah, blah. Mm. And I, I think that's a super good lesson for any kind of content creator. You should talk about what you can speak, if, you know, if you want to be this sort of person, what can you talk about with authority? And that may not seem important to you. You know, but there's somebody out there. I mean, there's, how many there's these fucking channels of people opening baseball cards to get millions and millions of views. Mm. You know, there's no such thing as content that's too niche. Right. You know, I mean, BMX is a pretty niche thing and it got you here. Yeah. And yeah, I mean, that, that that's the one thing that I find so fascinating on YouTube. And I'll still frequently like go down rabbit holes of people who I find who have careers on YouTube doing the most niche things. One of my favorite things I ever discovered was. You know, price matching, basically, where it's like if you go to Target and you buy something for $3, but then if you can uh, find it at Walmart for two seventy-five, then you could, you know, in theory, take your receipt to Target and say, hey, you owe me 25 cents. Right. Well, that whole process has been automated on phones and apps and everything like that. So there's this guy I saw who has a whole channel and apparently there's a whole community of this and he goes around and will find, he'll, he'll walk around the parking lot of a supermarket all day just picking up receipts and then he goes home at night and scams the, or scans them into these apps and it it automatically searches all these other websites to see if there's a better deal and you know he'll he's talking about making a thousand dollars in a month off this but you know i mean that is pretty impressive considering this is picking up trash off sure. the ground but also like he's talking about making a thousand dollars a month like he hit the fucking lottery <laughs> and i'm like 
I think is the coolest thing on earth. And this guy's vlogging it. I would watch the shit out of that. And I don't give a fuck about ever doing this. I can't even remember what the fucking shit was called. But, man, I just, that, that blew my mind. Like, there, there could be a fucking community yeah. for anything. Have you seen Soft White Underbelly? No, uh, I don't know. It's basically what? a YouTube channel. It's really big at this point where this guy who's like a photographer. He interviews crackheads, prostitutes. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. With the black and white thumbnails. Yes. Yes. And, I mean, that stands out to me as, like, pure genius in terms of a YouTube channel because I started doing this downtown L.A. right next to Skid Row. Like, shit, I could have given you an infinite fucking feed of guests. You know, I had a whole fucking <laughs> studio. These people are literally outside the store, and I'm just, like, out here just struggling to interview every underground rapper that I yeah. could find. If I had known that, I could have just interviewed every... But, man, I don't know. To me, that shit always has kind of... And that's what I think keeps me from watching a lot of that content is this is just really dark. Well, we've been around that stuff enough that it's not entertaining yeah. or interesting. It's like, well, that's half my fucking family. Yeah. I don't need to know what it's like to be a homeless crack addict because I have an uncle who was one. Right. You know what I mean? But for normal people who <laughs> don't come from fucked up families like us, that's probably really interesting. But my, my impression of a lot of the homeless people downtown and shit too is like they're they're so fucked off drugs that the idea like i wouldn't even want to you know film them and put them in my vlogs no. when i'm sort of vlogging my day or anything because they're so fucked up that it's just kind of like it doesn't feel like they're in control of their right. behavior right. so how am i gonna capture it and then put it on youtube i mean i'm sure i did a bit over the years but you know i think it's better overall to it, avoid it feels that shitty. but this guy yeah. goes about it in a very different way i think and also i've i've seen like i was watching this one youtuber who was doing like he would actually go into people's tents and their whole little setups in downtown. And some of them are really fucking impressive. But the people he was doing it with were people who weren't fucked up on drugs. So that felt like a much more yeah. consensual affair. And I was finding that really interesting. Yeah. Yeah. There's, you know, that's the thing with YouTube is what people want you to do. The content that people really want you to do is oftentimes not. You know, let's say, you know, YouTube explains it as delicious versus nutritious. Mm. People don't want you to make the nutritious content. They want you to make the most exploitative, salacious, you know, just kind of negative, nasty content. You know, your, your videos, the, the, the more, uh, the more somebody thinks that by clicking on this video, they're going to watch some motherfucker burn his life down, the mm. faster they're going to click. Rage bait. Rage bait or just watching some like delighting in someone else melting their life down. I mean, mm. look at every YouTuber, you know, when they do something wrong, there's a whole little fucking industry of people who make videos like just chronicling every fuck up. They, and I'm not making excuses for those people. Like if they did something wrong, they, you know, they deserve to be called out for it. But, you know, that's what people want. And uh, I struggle with that because, you know, in music, there's a million videos that I can make about, you know, all the things that person X did wrong or that a hundred reasons why so-and-so is a piece of shit scumbag. I was thinking about that from your perspective, that that probably is, that's the temptation, because you could go viral every week if you did, like, why so-and-so are the worst band ever, Absolutely. why so-and-so is the worst person ever, yeah. Absolutely. And and I, I you know, I, I have, just like you do, I have you know, knowledge that other people don't that would probably be, you know, very, you know, be very interesting to people. Mm. This is not what I want to do. It's not because I'm protecting anybody or making excuses for them. It's just, it's not the energy that I want to put out. Mm. Um, and not to say that I can't ever be critical or can't have a, a negative opinion about something, but I, I really don't like doing that about individuals. Mm. I don't want to like put down a, I'd be happy to like say something critical about a genre or something or some trend, but I don't want to put down individuals cause it, it's just not what I want to do with my life. Mm. I feel that. Um, in rap, it's like, 
so-and-so sold this pathetic amount of records. That's <laughs> right. like the stuff that, that will go viral or like so-and-so's career is over or, you know, all that kind of stuff. But basically just like letting you know that some guy who had like one song that got three million plays and there's really no reason that anybody should have ever expected that he would have an actual yeah. career well guess what he doesn't have a career little pumps <laughs> album only went to number eight what a fucking loser yeah i mean that that circumstance with him definitely deserves some exploration yeah. for sure <laughs> that's a pretty fascinating thing to watch uh, but with happen. you know with uh, with my world it's it's a little bit different for one because for sure i either know the person i'm talking about or know someone who works with them mm. so if i was to highlight you know the fact that some band you know their album flopped you know, they're the fucking drummer's gonna see it and be like, What the fuck, man? Like, I don't fucking mm. make videos about how your last video didn't do well. Like, wh leave me alone, man. I'm just yeah. trying to live my life. And I feel like with rap, it, it's, it's almost like they understand that that's part of the ecosystem. Mm. You know, that people talking like, and, and you, the baby doesn't give a fuck if you talk shit about him. He's like, As long as you're talking about me, great. Right. You know, and, but the baby is like, has a very real career in a way that a lot of these artists that are, have these like takedown videos made about them are like, people where you just would be crazy to have ever thought that they that this person right, had a right. solidified career right. anything to really fall off from right a lot of right. times you know yeah that's that's true too and we yeah with someone like him he knows he's successful and he's like you can say whatever you want about me i'm good so yeah have at it he's probably made enough money that he could afford to fall off right now i would imagine so and just sort of live a falling off rapper's life which realistically could probably still make you a couple million bucks a year yeah, I mean, there's worse things than being an irrelevant rapper that still gets, you know, 10 grand for appearances or whatever. Mm. I remember finding out that Bane got like 2,000 bucks for like, a $2, show. $2,000? And being what? like, what the fuck? And then somebody said, like, well, you, know, you got to split that between the whole band yeah. plus the other people going on tour with them. I'm like, oh, well, yeah. that immediately seems like almost nothing. But, we, we you know, that was hard for me to wrap my head around. Like, there's such a big difference culturally where one culture completely celebrates the making of money and one basically shuns it yeah and and i was always more into like uh do you know that cool g rap song road to the riches probably it's like one of the first songs about like you know grinding hard to make money from like 1988 or something like that right i was always into that stuff when i was a kid you know because i grew up poor not like super you know cry for me but you know like mm. single mom on welfare and blah 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 so you know for me like making a little bit of money was always seemed like an impossibly hard dream. Mm. Definitely not something I would ever shy away from, you know? And so I, that's one part of like hardcore and punk. I just never resonated with. And I, and that's a big part of why I was into rap in the beginning, because especially back then, mm. you know, that there was that whole like sort of struggle rap genre, which I mean, it's still a, a theme, mm -hmm. you know, now they do it. They talk about it, you know, in the context of selling drugs, which is, not something I ever aspired to as a kid, but, uh, good call. The, yeah. That kind of set of values in, uh, in punk and hardcore really just doesn't sit right with me. Mm. Yeah. There's a part of it that I like, like the sort of shunning of materialism. Although I don't know how effectively hardcore really manages to do that. Yeah. I mean, these fuckers all have a fucking <sighs> closet full of Nikes and, and star right. Wars figures. Like, dude, you collect fucking star Wars dolls. Mm. Who are you to get up on your high horse about when I was going to shows? I don't think anyone had nice shoes. I don't think that people were even thinking about their shoes or at least if they were, I wasn't noticing, but then I guess, yeah, like, cause the kind of fashion core type shit. Yeah. Like I remember going to see Throwdown and then, finding out about 18 visions like with them and being like 
how the fuck are these people on the same tour? These, they, they should not be getting along based on the idea of hardcore that I have in my right. head, which is like the dudes who wear makeup and have spiky hair get beat up by well, the guys with camo shorts. But, you know, yeah, but, but you know, 18 Visions and Monster Crew, you know, hand in hand. So that they were an interesting case because, you know, you think now that people have cool haircuts and dress fancy to be cool. Mm. But the reason they did it was exactly what you're saying was so a good friend of mine uh, was in 18 visions and is one of the people who like invented that whole thing. And uh, the reason they did it is specifically to piss people off because mm. it was cool to wear camo shorts and be, you know, a jock and stuff back then. So they said, oh, well, why, we're go we all go to hair school. So why don't we get fucking Karen haircuts you know, <laughs> and you wear ties, you know, like, it's funny to think back on all the things that I believed as a kid in regards to hardcore because there wasn't like any way to verify any of these rumors that you heard. But we used to hear, and I'm not saying this as if it's actually true, but who knows? We used to hear like those dudes in 18 Visions. I heard they suck each other's dicks. They probably started that rumor. <laughs> <laughs> and that to me, based on my view of the world, was like, they, I mean, I can't even put into words like how foreign that was to me. I just had never even, like I knew that gay people existed, but I had never really yeah. known anyone who was gay in real life like that. So it was just so foreign and hard for me to understand. Well, Hav, if you're listening, we'll need you to confirm or deny this rumor. Yeah, were any dicks getting sucked? I would need to know that. You know? Yeah, that's, I'm going to need to see some photographic evidence one way or the other. But looking back on that and like how I viewed that, it Well, really... Hav has three kids by three different mothers. Oh. So I would say he was probably busy putting that thing elsewhere. Right. I'm not assuming that that was a real thing, but <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Um, yeah, but yo, another like crazy cultural moment for me was I don't remember the band, but I remember there was a band from LA that came out and, and played a show in Worcester, Mass. And they like were wearing like big white tees and like large jean shorts. <laughs> yeah. And that for like. Was it like E Town Concrete or something? It wasn't E Town Concrete, although they were at my first ever hardcore show in 97, which was like Death Threat, E Town, um, Unearth, Hate Breed. Like in my town, like I could have fucking rode my bike there in like five minutes. It's how so many, insane. How many noses were broken at that show? Probably many. Yeah. Yeah. But uh, man, that that was just mind blowing. Oh yeah, but like they came through and they're all wearing these big white tees and like jean shorts, which I now understand is like, yeah. you know, our version of hardcore had no gangster influence, whereas like their version of hardcore in L.A. Right. Obviously, like gangs are a giant part of the culture so that kind of like fed into how they dress and stuff oh i thought you were talking about more like the uh, lugs kind of look the lugs fubu sort of look kind of but i see what you mean it was yeah. more of a west coast like yeah i you, see what you mean you know because there was a time period where like every west coast bike rider every west coast rapper that i knew it was like giant white tees like the tallest of tees like yeah. every fucking day that was just the style Right. That yeah, I come back. Was. yeah I, I, it's, it's time. I mean, the, the early 2000s stuff is starting to be cool. You know, it's like all the Y2K, you know, e-girls and stuff on TikTok. So it's only a matter of time until uh, the Funkmaster Flex uh, lugs driving boot is a coveted <laughs> collector's item. You, know, you ever notice how like all of the trends, though, they always lead to things that are more expensive? Yeah. Yeah, that's true. That like I can't imagine white tea coming back as like the default hip-hop style because it just doesn't feed the the capitalist the beast if your shirt is inexpensive there's just there's no future in that and as much as for me i kind of like i was thinking about what i would do if i sold no jumper at some point in my life and i was like well first thing first i would wear a white t-shirt every single day of my life like, yeah be like damon dash <laughs> only wear a pair of shoes once did you ever see him on cribs i do remember that when yeah. he licked the, he licked the bottom of the shoe i'm gonna go out on a limb and say damon dash is wearing pairs of shoes more than once these days but 
maybe like two or three times. My favorite part was when uh, the butler came out and offered water, and he stopped the butler. He's like, is this the most expensive water you could find? <laughs> He's like, yes, of course, sir. And he's like, okay, good. <laughs> <laughs> That's amazing, like faking how fancy you are uh, it was great i mean that, I, think was, I think he was joking but it was mm. it was it was amazing if you in that era understood trolling in that kind of way like if you understood that you could act like a fake version of yourself a more exaggerated version and that basically anytime you were on camera was like a wrestling promo opportunity right then the world was really your oyster because at that time everyone's radar of what was fake and what was real was really set so low and it's like you just took it for granted that everybody was being sincere. I mean, Paris Hilton fucking fleeced everybody doing that. Right. You know, or put some respect on Paris Hilton for inventing mm. the influencer game, inventing trolling. Somebody like Easy E, who could just really say things that were so beyond the pale that he couldn't really possibly mean them. <laughs> the fact that he understood how to sell that back to America at such an early stage is like, pretty baffling to me because now it just feels like everyone gets that i wonder how much of that stuff back then was fabricated and and rappers in later generations emulated that but they didn't understand it was fake so they mm -hmm. did it for real and it became real and it just makes the problem more and more extreme that you'd have some guy in ohio who's listening to easy and just takes everything at face value right. and is like i'm gonna rob a bank <laughs> right. There is an easy. like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Easy E after his like prime, there was a lot of content around that time. Like I specifically remember one song where it was basically about robbing a bank and then taking the teller That's in the right. back to basically assault her. That's right. And then taking her dress off and realizing that she had a penis. I wonder if that's still on streaming services untouched because if they're taking away the fucking YG song about robbing Asian people's homes, I mean, I think that probably shooting the trans person in the I Probably forgot about is, that. It's like the next one to go, right? That That is definitely one of those... Uh, I was a kid listening to that. And, you know, thank God I was, like, too timid to, like, act upon yeah. any of these sort of things. Because I just... I was baffled by it. But you got to just assume that there was just as many people who, like, sort of sincerely bought into that worldview. I know some people who got in the hardcore scene who got into some very, very serious legal trouble. Like, went to prison for shit. And I, I, I asked my friend, like, you know, because he's a smart guy. He, I was like, what, what happened? And he was like, oh, I just thought it was cool to be a thug. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and then I was, became one, and here we are. You know? And I'm A lot how of rapper, rap kids, wannabe rappers, et cetera, would be doing themselves, like, they would be more honest than they've ever been in their entire life if they were to say that and just accept that that's basically why they're in the lifestyle that they're in. Yeah, and you know you can choose to opt out of that at any time, and mm. maybe people are going to call you some names on the internet, but it's better than getting shot or going to prison. I interview people all the time who basically just have to go to prison a bunch of times until they figure out that, oh, I guess I just don't want to live the life of a criminal, you know? And even uh, I was interviewing Callie Muscle, who's a YouTuber and a bodybuilder yeah. and used to be in prison, street dude, et cetera, and he basically said that the, the, the moment he got locked up that he just got indoctrinated into this shit because... Everyone respected him so much based on how huge he was and just his personality. And it's like, if if you go to prison and you're good at it, I mean, that's just like, it's hard. Uh, you don't have that same negative thing. Whereas sure. if you go to prison, you're a total pussy and you get terrorized the whole time, then yeah, you're going to probably not want to go back. My dad was a corrections officer. And so my, my stepmom was too. Mm. Um, and I have a bunch of 
other family members who went to prison. So I remember asking my dad about that, like, you know, why do people go back? And he's like, some people like it there. They prefer it to be, they prefer it over being on the outside because mm. everything's done for them in prison and they can just focus on what they want to do, which is like victimizing other people. Mm. And uh, he was describing it as being really comfortable, too. He's like, think about it. Nobody's getting 12 hours of sleep on the outside. Sure. But a lot of guys in prison are fucking, you know, they're putting you to bed at like 8 p.m. It's like lights out. It's like, right. what the fuck else are you going to do? I wouldn't be comfortable for me. Right. Especially <laughs> when Kelly you see Muscle, what they eat. Yeah. That's and, what everyone complains about yeah. is like the food. Uh, yeah. I mean, when I think about like the level of freedom I have in my life to just, you know, when you look at that Postmates lists and you're just looking through like hundreds of delicious restaurants and you're like i don't i don't want any of this i don't know what the fuck to right. order like think about being in prison you gotta eat the same hot dog every day or Dude, something I, I think about that kind of stuff all the time i try very hard to take my to not take my freedom for granted mm. you know because i think about people i know who have you know been locked up and just how much i i used to have nightmares all the time that i had like killed somebody and then i really you know that i had you know i killed somebody in self-defense but i realized oh fuck i'm gonna go to prison for this right and i was like fuck i maybe i'm gonna do 10 years or something and maybe i'll get out but i'm gonna have to go to prison for 10 years and i would wake up like in a cold sweat and stuff wow and that's uh, a very reasonable thing to be scared of because that is probably one of the worst things that could happen to you aside from dying yeah exactly i mean if you ask any normal person who's went to prison uh like oh what's prison like and they look at you like you're a fucking idiot and they're like <laughs> it's the worst fucking thing ever what do you think yeah <laughs> it's so bad that it's kind of hard to believe that it still exists yeah, like in the, the way that it does literally the only thing they can do to you after that is kill you right that's the only thing worse than prison like i watch i watch uh i watched a season of the show 60 days in mm -hmm. and it was unbelievable best prison related show i ever watched but the main thing i got from it was just like oh my like i felt so thankful about everything in my life as yeah. i watched that show and i don't get that from a lot of programming but everything about it just made me like want to behave on my best behavior not get in trouble not get pulled over not do anything bad because i just am seeing this way of life like you just, can walk across this room without having to like worry about right. like the 10 bad things that could happen to you along the way. Definitely. Um, I watched one of your videos and I feel like it might've been one of the most disliked of your videos. Not that I had like majority dislikes, but it was the one about racism and, yeah. and metal. Uh, what has been the conclusions that you sort of come to from talking about, uh, you know, politics or, or race and stuff like that? Because that, that's one thing on YouTube you, I think when you get into YouTube, you think it's going to be more left than yes, it is. That is my exact conclusion. And you see the comments yes. and you're like, wow, I made a lot of assumptions about how you guys would take in what I'm saying about this. Yeah, That is my exact conclusion. Mm. I was afraid that people were going to come after me for not being, you know, uh, anti-racist enough. Right. You know, I mean, I was very anti-racist, but I was, you know, you know what I mean. You could have taken it further in that video in particular in terms of, you know, sort of the whole social justice war. I think yes. if there's a spectrum, yes. you weren't on the furthest end by any means. Yes. Yeah. But but I was definitely on that side of it. And but it was the exact opposite. Mm. I was like, oh, everybody in the internet is racist, <laughs> which I know I mean, I'm joking. That's an exaggeration. But right. for sure, like the vast majority of the comments on that were disagreeing with me, calling me names, you know, like it was exactly what you said. And mm. then I, uh, anytime I've ever mentioned, you know, I'm not woke like at all, but I'm not an asshole either. Mm. You know what I mean? I'm not racist. I don't hate women. Like, and anytime I'm critical of those things, I get a ton of comments from people who are 
I, I don't know who these people are. Basically know? don't want to have their worldview questioned at all. Yeah. <laughs> and I mean, maybe it's because, you know, we live on the West Coast and associate with the people we associate with. But it just it blew my mind, to be honest, how many people out there like don't think that racism and sexism exist or that if they do exist, like you shouldn't talk about it. It's just it's puzzling. And, you know, sometimes I read those kind of responses and I'm surprised like like. People who think it really shouldn't be discussed at all or that it's not a problem at all is the stuff that really kind of blows my mind because I I understand the perspective of people who think that, you know, our culture basically like talks about this shit too much. I understand that because we are fucking inundated with conversations from a lot of people who don't really seem all that sincere about it. Like when I have to, you know, watch like a Chase Bank commercial about how against racism they are. And I'm like, really? Like this, like... (laughs) I don't know if I want to hear anybody talk about this if Chase is telling me it, you know? And, like, I understand that, but, like, the people are so, just so resistant to having any conversation about it. It can be kind of amazing. Yeah, and, you know, in regards specifically to, like, metal, and I want to be clear, it is a uniquely metal problem. Like, people in pop punk aren't racist. People in hardcore definitely aren't racist. That's interesting. You know what I mean? Like, at a hardcore show, if you're racist, you literally might get killed. Mm. You know, I mean... That's how I grew up. That, that has was, happened. That was my understanding, and I know what you're talking about right there, at least one of them. Yes. Um, that was my upbringing, was like, oh, there there are crews in hardcore, and, like, one of the main functions of the crews is that if anything racist happens or if somebody shows up with a swastika on their shirt, they're going to get the shit beat out of them. And that, to me, was a big selling point. I was like, wow, that makes me think that this white culture is a lot cooler than a lot of the other white culture that I'm observing, you know? Yeah, and uh, that's, I just sort of assumed that everybody felt the same way. Well, it's not the case in metal, and because I know this because, you know, I mean, you can watch the video, but essentially, you know, anytime I talk about rap in a video, it Mm. comes out in the comments, you know, lots of, I don't even look at the ones that YouTube flags, you know, as whatever objectionable, because I imagine there's all kinds of bad words in there that I don't want to look at, Mm. but... The ones that make it through the filter are are bad enough, you know. Um, lots and lots and stuff uh, about how the media is conspiring to destroy white culture and stuff, and you know the, the media hates white people, and that's why they're forcing this rap on us, and they're trying to outbreed us, and like all this stuff. That's like, it's it's beyond um, it's beyond just sort of like rednecky kind of stuff. It's like into the realm of like QAnon, kind of like mm. you literally think there's a conspiracy to like exterminate white people, and you know, it's hundreds of comments like this. And people will say, well, it's just a few people on the internet. Why do you put so much weight in that? All right, well, at what point does it become enough people that you think it needs to be paid attention to? To me, the fact that there's hundreds of people saying this on a video with a few hundred thousand views, that's enough to represent a sizable amount of people to me. Right, because when I'm watching that video, I'm sort of wondering, like, damn, there's that much racism in metal because I'm not, like, close enough to it to really, you know see that and i was just surprised to hear that but then hearing you say that about the comments that kind of like proves the point i guess yeah Yeah, and with any like european metal band uh there's sort of i don't really listen to that stuff but there's a filter i know lots of people who do and there's a filter you have to run of like okay before i like this band let me make sure that nobody in the band is it is a nazi or was in a band with a nazi really i mean it's like an actual literal nazi it's that common of a thing in in those sort of scenes in like european metal yeah it's you know like there's pictures of, I don't know, people like the guy from fucking Behemoth, you know, with his friend from Graveland, which is like a straight up like Nazi band, mm. pictures of them together. And, you know, you ask the guy from Behemoth about it. And he's like, oh, I don't endorse his politics, whatever. That's his business. Yeah. 
Damn, that's crazy because that that that's gonna be a tough choice. I wonder how that feels. But is, like, it, is would it be a tough right. choice for you? You're right. It's not a tough <laughs> choice for me, but it's like I never knew a Nazi. Right. You know, so that kind of like it makes me wonder like how I would feel if I was that guy and like you just socialize with other. Well, that's exactly what I'm talking yeah. about. I don't think there's that many people in metal who, you know, would just throw around the N word. Right. But I think there's a lot of people who are like, oh yeah, the guy's a Nazi, big deal. Like I don't agree with him, but whatever. Right. You know, Damn. and they don't see that as an issue. That's interesting. You think that in a way metal's kind of become like a refuge for people who feel like that? Because, I mean, I don't really know what kind of music people who are like talking about white supremacy on the Internet really listen to these days. I mean, if it's not metal, I don't know. What else would it be? You know, <laughs> yeah, I, mean, I guess maybe some kind of like real rednecky country. I don't know. Oh, that's crazy. Every, I remember like every like outwardly racist person that I've ever probably met in my whole life just because it's like stood out to me so much. Yeah. It just doesn't like I had a guy basically try to recruit me to work on an oil tanker with him. And one of his selling points was that there were no black people. <laughs> and this is just a guy talking to me outside a fucking burger spot. Yeah. And I said to him, I'm like, bro, I'm good. I'm good. I like, don't need a job. I'm good. And then right at the last minute, but people who listen to this podcast have heard me tell this story a bunch of times, but right as he's leaving, he runs up to me and gives me a business card and he goes, bro, like I went to prison. I did my time. I came back and, and you know, right, right, right. Like I, I put in work and I'm just like, the way he said it, I was like, this is interesting. So when I got home, I Googled his name and he basically like blew a Puerto Rican kid's head off with a shotgun and was in like a fucking Nazi gang back in the wow. day and went and did like 15 years for it. And I'm like, this is the fuck, like he wanted me to Google him. Well, if you're a white guy with tattoos, you know, I mean, I have yeah. a lot of, and my tattoos are not good. So they look like they could have been done in jail or something. Like, <laughs> so I remember one time years ago when I lived in Ohio, uh, I was at some shitty dive bar, uh, and to be fair, I was trying to buy cocaine, so the guy was not barking up the wrong tree. But uh, he, he comes up to me, like, all super intense with that, you know, coke kind of energy. Uh, he's some, like, you know, white Peckerwood-type guy, a bunch of tattoos, and just starts telling me about how he just got out of the joint, like, three days ago. Uh, and, you know, he's just trying to make some money, and he's selling coke, and, you know, how he's clicked up with the AB, and I was just like... I do not want to be having this conversation with you. Right. And asking me if I want to buy Coke from him. And I was like, yeah, all right. You know? Mm. And then his, some guy comes up to us and he's like, are you talking to my brother? And I was like, uh, yes. And he's like, are you, kind of, are you trying to get him in trouble? I'll fucking kill you if you get him in trouble. You're like, what the hell did yeah. I get myself into? Exactly. I was like, <laughs> you know what? I, I, I got that sense of like, okay, this guy is a not, um, this is not an empty threat. Mm. I was like, I apologize. I'm not trying to cause any trouble. I'm just going to get out of here. And that was that. And I was like, man, this is how you end up getting fucking stabbed. Right, dude. Coke makes for bad bedfellows. Like, yeah. You'll just and, deal and, you with know, people you would never deal with otherwise in the pursuit of that shit. And people who just got out of the joint are still like in that mm. mentality. And I was like, this is just, I just literally dodged a bullet here. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandslots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hi, I'm Daniela Clark. I'm Barbara Ann Wild. And we are The Honest AF Show. 
Our podcast is real, honest conversation with our celebrity friends and pros. Covering our anything but average rock and roll lifestyles. All while tackling the hell that is aging and the battle of beauty. Oh yeah, nothing is off the table. The Honest AF Show is available wherever you get your podcasts. But first, I want to thank DistroKid for sponsoring this episode of the podcast. If you're not familiar, DistroKid is a digital music distribution service that musicians use to put their music into online stores and streaming services. So in plain language, if you have ever wondered how to get your music on iTunes, Spotify, Apple Music, YouTube Music, Amazon, Deezer, Tidal, and many, many more, there's like dozens and dozens of different streaming services. DistroKid is the way to do it. It is super easy. I have used it to put my music on Spotify. It took me maybe five minutes to like set it up and upload everything. It's legitimately awesome. I am sincerely a fan of this company and their product. And for those of you who have asked, you can also upload your music to TikTok with DistroKid. And if you want a chance to get featured on DistroKid's Spotify playlists, you can do that by submitting a song through Spotlight and getting your fans to vote for you. You can also use HyperFollow to get more Spotify followers. You can promote your new release as well as Spotify Canvas. That's where there's the video in the background in the player. And when you share it on Instagram, it shares that video too to make your Spotify release pop. And Spotify Canvas is available to all DistroKid artists. Like I said, as you can probably tell from this, like I am sincerely a fan of DistroKid. DistroKid can do everything I just talked about and so much more. So be sure to sign up with my link, which is in the show notes for this episode, to get 7% off your first year. That link is in the show notes of this episode or go to distrokid.com slash VIP slash the punk rock NBA. And thanks again to DistroKid for sponsoring this episode. Let me let me throw this fucking scenario out to you because I don't even think I've talked about this on the podcast, but this happened to me uh, recently, and I don't, I have no expectation that I should have done better because I didn't really realize what was going on until afterwards. But I've been thinking about it ever since. So we had a little BMX jam, right? We're all hanging out, smoking. I mean, the, the the crowd is very mixed racially. There's like black guy standing right next to me rolling a blunt. There's another, you know, it's like very, very mixed crowd at L.A. skate park. And a guy comes up to me and starts talking to me about uh, how his kid thinks I'm so cool and wants to take a picture with me. And as I'm talking to the guy, and he's got a full face, he's like a 45-year-old white guy, full face of tattoos. And as I'm talking to him, I start to realize that Every single tattoo on his face is a fucking white power thing. Got a little bulge. He got that H88, yeah. uh, the, the, like all these little like things that I just recognize from the, fucking the movies and shit. and stuff. And, and I, but I didn't fully realize like as I'm looking at him and it's only like a minute long conversation and then he turns around and I see like even more and now I'm 100% sure like, oh, fuck. And, uh, you know, but he's, he's being super nice and taking a photo of his kid with me. And then he walks away, and literally nobody, n none of the people of color who are with me have any fucking clue right. what the shit on his face means. I'm the only one, and I start telling them, and they're looking at me like, what the fuck? Like, why the fuck do you know about all this <laughs> right. Nazi shit? And I'm like, oh, okay, that's How do you know how to too. read all this code? <laughs> I know, they're like kind of looking at me like. Do they give you a handbook or something? Right, like, were you a Nazi? Like, why, why do you know? And I'm like, yeah, like, that's kind of a good point, too. Like, if I were to make a big deal about this, I right. guess I kind of would be doing it for me. Right. Because you guys don't know what the fuck it is right i felt like if i saw him again at a event like that maybe i should say something but i really i'm kind of he's being so nice that i'm kind of assuming and there's like poo shiesty blasting right now i'm kind of assuming that 
maybe it's just some prison shit. Oh, that so this not, was like recently. This was like three weeks ago. Oh, okay. And uh, yeah, I'm just like trying to, you know, I, what would you have done? Because there's been other times in my life when I think about it that I could have been less cowardly in terms of saying something to somebody who said something racist around me. Well, those kind of people can and will go from zero to 10 in a fucking heartbeat. Mm. So I don't know if that's cowardly. There's a difference between like a guy at the gas station, some like just dumbass redneck at the gas station and those somebody with those kind of tattoos at his age, like very likely might kill you, you know? I mean, that's that's not unimaginable so i'm not saying shit to a crackhead because a crackhead i can just walk past you know this guy came to an event that we threw and clearly felt comfortable being there which i mean i want everyone to feel comfortable but not at the expense of other people feeling uncomfortable you you, you know you want to get rid of that guy but you gotta it's like defusing a bomb you know you can't just pull the red wire out right because you might blow everybody up so you got to do it in a safe way it was just crazy because his energy was the opposite of what i would ever expect from anyone on that type of time, you know, like he's just, he was being so nice. And that's what really threw me off about the whole experience. People are very, you know, the, people are very multifaceted. Somebody can be super nice to you mm. uh, and then be a total piece of shit monster to somebody else for completely different reasons. You know, mm. I mean, it's people are not one dimensional. It's true. Um, how do you feel about this is a, a offset of that conversation, but it's like in, okay, when you were doing the zine, you're making a zine. It's for hardcore kids. Hardcore kids are ordering it, but it basically doesn't really matter what you cover necessarily because they're just kind of the hardcore zine. It's going to have 20 different bands in it. Yeah. They're going to all fuck with it. When it comes to making a video, I mean, the video lives or dies by the title and the thumbnail. You could yep. either make a fuckload of money or you could have a total dud. And you're probably more aware of that for your content than anything. How much does that sort of shape the decisions you make and about what you cover? Well, at this point in my life, I'm not going to invest a bunch of my time and energy in something that is not going to, I don't want to say not going to make me money because, mm. you know, money isn't the only thing that matters, but it has to, it has to like benefit me and my family somehow. You know what I mean? Mm. Um, when I was younger, I didn't give a shit and I would just make stuff because I wanted to make it. And I think that's totally cool. But at this point in my life, I'm not going to spend 15 hours on a video that gets 2000 views instead of putting that money or putting that time into like building some kind of business. Mm. I just can't do that. So, um, you know, it does matter there. Like I said, I'm, I'm not going to kind of give in to the lowest common denominator, you know, audience and make some like shitty video dragging somebody just because I know that'll get a lot of clicks. But mm. what I try to do is like start with a topic that I'm like genuinely interested in talking about in some way or another. And, um, I might make some compromises with, you know, shaping that to some extent, but I'm never going to do something just purely for views. It's just, this is not who I am. Mm. If I wanted to just make money, there's a lot of things I would do aside from YouTube. You know what I mean? The hardcore kid attitude though is, is oftentimes kind of like the band with, you know, a thousand followers is just as important as the band with a million followers. And I feel like that has got to be something that you... Well, but I guess you're not making videos about specific bands. You're trying to tell interesting stories and entertain your audience, right? Yes, but part of the reason why is because making videos about individual bands just generally doesn't get as many views Mm. because, you know, it requires you to be... That's why I focus on, like, genres more because, uh, let's say, making a video about emo, as long as you're a fan of one of the fucking thousand bands under the heading of emo, then you might be interested in this video. But I make if I make it specifically about Senses Fail or whatever, mm. then it's limited to the audience of people because people only click on stuff that they know about, basically, which I think is really dumb, and I would encourage people to 
not fucking echo chamber themselves like that. Like go out of your way to watch videos about things you don't know about. It'll make your life better. Right. Um, but that's the world we live in. And so, you know, I, I, what I try to do is take advantage of the fact that people will click on a video about something popular and, uh, on the back of that, feed them something, you know, about a lesser known artist or some, you know, what I would hope is piece of useful information or something like that. So if, for example, like I made a video about trap metal today and, you know, the title and the thumbnail are like the popular stuff everyone would know, like Scarlord, Ghost, Main, City, Morgue. Um, but towards the end of that video, I talk about a bunch of like super obscure underground artists, you right. know, with like 5,000 monthly listeners. I see you do that little sleight of hand from time to time. Exactly. So, you know, that's kind of how I do it because I feel like that's the best of both worlds. I can, you know, get the views and make a little bit of money, but I can also use that to, you know, kind of scratch my inner hardcore kid itch of giving some attention to people who don't have as much of it. Do you think you're the only hardcore kid eating off Nord VPN? <laughs> well, my manager's a hardcore kid too, and he's the one that brings me those deals. So there's at least two of us. Right. Okay. So how do you start, go about building out your team, getting a manager? And I think you said that you had somebody helping you uh, schedule stuff or whatever, and you have yeah. an editor. Mm -hmm. how, how do you go about making that decision? And is this a full-time thing for you now? Uh, it's not, but it could be. Uh, mm -hmm. I have, I'm a partner in two other companies. Um, one is called URM Academy. It's an online school for rock and metal producers. We teach people how to record music. Another oh, one is dope. called riffhard.com, which is for like metal guitarists, teach people how to play guitar. Oh, that's cool. Uh, so that's sort of my real job. Uh, but I could do YouTube full time if I wanted to, but I, I don't want to. Um, but uh, as far as building a team out goes, uh, I have seen so many people think that they can't outsource this or that. Nobody could do it like I do it. It's not true. There's a lot of stuff you can outsource and you will be glad you did. The sooner you do it, the better. That's how you scale yourself and your time. Mm. My manager is just through the like hardcore kid network. You know, how do hardcore kids, how did we find each other? You just do, mm. you know, it's just like the, the magnet of hardcore kids that, you know, find each other. And uh, he does like Jared Dines and Stevie T and Fluff, a lot of like kind of metal music kind of YouTubers. Oh, nice. Uh, and my channel is, especially back when he started working with me, it was smaller than a lot of the other ones. But uh, because we're both hardcore kids, he was like, fuck it, I'll, I'll get you some deals. So that's how that started. And that was awesome because anybody that does YouTube, you know, those brand deals, uh, that's a nice chunk of change that really makes up for AdSense, which can be up and down all the time and stuff. And you get a video demonetized. Mm. So that's how I found him. And with him, I just try very hard to be his best client because, mm. you know, a lot of these, you know, how it is working with influencers and stuff. Most of them are flakes and they don't do what they say they're going to do. They're late. I try to never be that person. Mm. If I make his life easy and I make, you know, if I'm his easiest client to work with, then I know I'm always going to have work. So mm. that's how I kind of, and he's my friend too. He lives down the street from me. So there's that, but that's how I think about him. Uh, as far as the podcast editor, I have, uh, so I have a podcast editor and producer, uh, and then I also have a uh, video editor, mm -hmm. the podcast editor. I just met her friend of a friend, you know, she edits the podcast for URM Academy. And, uh, I just was, we, we do this little convention sort of thing every year. And I was just having lunch and talking to her and I said, I need to do a podcast. Do you want to help me make it? She said, yes. And that was that. Mm -hmm. um, and I think once you have somebody good like her, who's reliable, just get the fuck out of their way and let them do their thing. You know, if, if somebody needs to be micromanaged, that's the wrong person. Mm. Find somebody good, get the fuck out of their way and let them do their job. The editor just emailed me randomly and said, Hey, I'm a fan of the channel. I have done the following work for this like soccer channel. I'd love to try it out with you. And I've gotten emails like that before, but there's just something about his email that 
seemed like he was worth taking a chance on him. Mm -hmm. And so I was like, all right. And then two days later, I sent him the first thing and it's been awesome. So the lesson there to me is like, hit people up. If you want to work with them, like DMs and emails, that shit works. There's lots of projects I've gotten that way. Um, like, you know, Bridge Nine, you know that? Yeah, you know mm -hmm. Bridge Nine. I did a uh, Flash game for him in like 2004 or something like that. He also has a uh, clothing company called Sully's Brand. Yes. You know, oh, yeah, you know Sully. Yeah. If you're in Boston, you, you, you got to know. know. Yeah. So, whether you know or not, you know. If you've, you've seen the shirts, whether you uh, know the name of the brand or not. Yeah. Exactly. So I just emailed or I uh, mailed him a package in like 2003 or something like that when I was doing graphic design. I just mailed him my work and said, hey, I'm a fan of the label. I'd love to do something. And he hit me back and was like, I don't need anything for Bridge Nine, but I need something for Sully's. Do you want to do it? And so I did. Um, so the lesson there is like, just put your put yourself out there. You know, if you want to work with somebody, hit up your favorite YouTuber or artist or anybody and just send them your shit. And if you do it enough times, somebody eventually is going to say yes. And once one person says yes, then it's much easier to get everyone else to say yes. Mm. It's that first domino that knocks down all the other ones and just... Go for it. I know so many people that are basically successful online because they, at one point, were willing to work for somebody for free. Mm -hmm. Just hit them up, offered. To, I know so many people who got on by doing timestamps. I believe it. Like I, just hit up somebody who had a podcast and said, I'm such a big fan. Let me do the timestamps for you. And then that somehow blossomed into them making a bunch of relationships. And boom, they're like doing their own thing at some point. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that's half the opportunities that I've gotten. Did, you may have seen the magazine I used to. It was called Flow back in like the mid-2000s. It, sounds it was familiar, like, uh, came with a CD, a DVD, and a magazine. Mm. We had a lot of uh, like action sports and music stuff. So like Quicksilver would pay us a couple grand to make a video about some surf competition they did. Okay. We had some BMX stuff on there. I don't remember what brands because I don't remember enough about it. But I got that job. I did all the video stuff for them for like three years about. Uh -huh. And that was the same thing. I just mailed a package to the guy and we worked on that thing for like a year and a half before I ever even met him. Right. Just because, and I would have done it for free. He paid me, but I would have done it for free. That is the way it works. Like if you have any kind of skill, you got to be good at what you do and you have to have a network. And the way you're going to build that network is just fucking reach out to people, mm. you know? And that's what I learned from hardcore being a little kid wanting to interview bands. I would write them a letter and say, Hey, I'm Finn. I'm 15 years old. I have a zine. Would you like to <laughs> do an interview with me? And more often than not, they'd be like, all right, cool. Here's my phone number. Call me. Mm. And I go, Oh my God, I've got to call the guy in the band. <laughs> yeah. But you get used to that and you learn that it's just a numbers game. If you reach out to people, X percent of them are going to ignore you. X percent are going to say no. And then the rest of them will say yes. And you only need a couple people to say yes at the right time to change your life. And all those people ignored you at some point, if you do a really good job um, providing value with the first gigs that you get they'll those gigs will 100% end up leading to things that are paid and also all those people who ignored you are going to end up taking you serious once mm -hmm. they see that you've actually put in a significant amount of work and have something to show for yourself because that is the hardest thing is getting from zero to 60 like somebody was asking me recently like when you started the podcast was it hard for you to deal with getting a lot of hate and I'm like no it was hard for me to deal with the fact that nobody was paying attention nobody to me. <laughs> was, yeah. I wasn't getting, I didn't get hate until I was like successful right. and people had an expectation, you know, right. like I would have been so lucky to have hate early on. It probably would have blown up faster. Yeah. I mean, if people are reacting to what you're doing, then that is a success. That's a sign of success. Mm. The worst thing is indifference. If you put shit out, which is a part of the process, you put stuff out at the beginning and it feels like three people watched it and one of them is your mom and you're like, why the fuck am I doing this? But mm. that's just part of the process. You know, I made, I want to say 70 videos 
before I really got anywhere. It took me like nine months, which I think is fast. Mm. You know, I, I consider that to be quick. But and you were getting, what, like a couple hundred or a thousand views or something? Uh, like one to 200. Uh, and that, that, I mean, that is the hardest time is being it a sucks. YouTuber and is when you don't have an audience and you're just talking to the to non-existent fan base but at that point you also have to start thinking promotion like how am i gonna put this in front of, in front of people's faces you know yeah and that it's it's a grind it's hard it's discouraging the first part of your career and anything you do is the hardest it mm. gets easier you know i feel like I feel like I used to work a lot harder and used to like it, life used to be a lot harder, mm. you know, but it's because I built that foundation and now things are, you know, the snowball is rolling. I don't mm. have to work as hard as I used to, uh, which I feel guilty about, but that's a whole other conversation. In terms of your aspirations for your channel, you've been involved with media companies. Do you think about your channel as basically being you or is it something that you could see turning into something bigger than you or where it might one day really have a life of its own and have a bunch of different people uh, commentating on it or something? You know, I think it's me. Um, I, I think the media company approach is a totally valid and smart one. I, I just don't think it's the one that I want. Uh, it makes sense like for you or, you know, for, um, I don't know, uh, like there's another company I follow, uh, Collins Last Stand, now Last Stand Media, where it's like it starts with one person and then they scale it by adding other people. Or Linus Tech Tips does this too. You know, he mm. he has a, a a process for building new hosts, and eventually they're able to produce videos on their own. And Linus is not involved at all. Mm. Um, and I think that's totally smart, but it's not really what I want to do. Uh, I don't expect that this is going to last forever. What I hope is that I'm building some sort of brand for myself that will enable whatever I do next, you know, like what I, what I, uh, what I want, uh, in a future world is I want Amazon or Microsoft to pay me a million dollars to help them figure out how to spread their message because they suck. Like Amazon sucks shit at YouTube, <laughs> Amazon web services, YouTube channel. They literally get like 250 views on videos. And this is AWS that runs literally like 30% of the internet, a, I don't know what AWS makes now, like $20 billion a year, and they can't get more than fucking 250 views on a video. So you would rather be a consultant to massive corporations? It seems kind of antithetical to like everything you built. Uh, well, uh, I'm, I'm happy where I'm at, but mm. it's not going to last forever. What, I'm going to be like 50 years old talking about fucking face tattoo rappers? I you feel know? that. Uh, <laughs> I feel that. <laughs> I actually didn't mean it that way. No, but. it's a totally perfect. I, I dread that and think yes. about because like that was always my thing when I was doing the BMX shit was like I got into this because I was super passionate about it in terms of like writing about it on the internet and making videos and covering it and stuff. And I always used to just look at certain people in the industry and be like, damn, that dude is 34 and he hates his fucking life. And he's yeah. only associated with this little bike shit because he liked it when he was a kid and he doesn't know anything else. Yeah. I used to always think like, man, I hope I don't have to fucking keep doing this shit just because it's the opportunity I have to make the most yes. money, you know? And this, where I'm at now in terms of this was pretty much just a result of me feeling like I had to branch out and I had yeah. to try other things because I was just feeling so stale with just doing the same shit over and over, you know? Yeah, you gotta have an idea of where you're going with it, which, you know, some sort of an exit, and if it lasts forever, great, but I mm. think you should have an idea of an exit, which could be scaling it to the point where, you know, Adam started this thing, but now it's just a network of eight other people who are the next generation that are, you know, uh, able to do what he did 10 years ago, mm. or if it is building a brand for yourself and then bowing out of YouTube and saying, well, 
YouTube, it was fun, but now I am transitioning from being a player to a coach. Mm. Uh, and you know, my interests and experience are more along the lines of, you know, of, of, I guess, marketing and technology than they are talking about music necessarily. So, mm. uh, not that I don't enjoy it. I do, but I know that I could help Amazon, for example, become a lot better at storytelling. And if they paid me a million dollars, that'd be the best fucking million dollars they ever spent. So, you know, Andy Jassy, if you're watching, know your worth. My Ask DMs are million. open. <laughs> Give yeah. me a million and I'll do it. No that's problem. Right. <laughs> for sure. Um, yeah. No, yeah, that's interesting because I mean, I could imagine your channel just like continuing to, you know, I feel like at some point, let's say you decide you want to bow out and you got a million subscribers and this is a very specific audience of people who give a fuck about metal and punk and hardcore and shit. It would be a real shame to let that go. I feel like, I, I yeah. feel like you would have to find a way, like just being you, I feel like you would find a way to, breathe life into it some way like it's got to at least at least and i wish i had done this with the bmx channel or if it made more sense but i feel like at least use it as a platform and hey i'll repost clips from other people's videos to help promote you or something yeah, be, this be person makes a dope yeah. video i'm gonna post the first five minutes of it and you got to go to their channel to watch the full 15 or something like that to at least like use that audience to sort of help that community i guess I don't yeah know. i'd be totally open to that mm -hmm. uh i'm not like that's not my plan but if it happens that'd be great you know because I, I do like helping you know up and coming artists especially at, at some point in my life I've fucking basically got the impression that nobody give a fuck about guitar oriented music anymore and from watching your channel I realize how much of a culture there still really is around it and especially like watching your shit and realizing how many people are talking about rock music on TikTok that was kind of yeah. mind blowing to me yeah yeah, I mean, it's definitely, you know, it's definitely still out there. It's not what it was in 2002, but I mean, I think especially now with the crossover of all the rap stuff that I talk about that all my metal fans, <laughs> metal watchers hate mm. me for talking about, but, you know, which is how I discovered you was when you were doing all that, like, goth boy click, you know, interviews and stuff like that. I know you're a big Zillikami fan, and yeah. uh, that was a fucking awesome interview that actually we should re-upload some part of that because that was awesome. I, I'm a huge fan. And so smooth. I like to sell crack. <laughs> that was his best quote in the whole thing. He's just totally honest. He was just like, I like to sell crack. It's just a hobby of mine. You know, some people are into making their own hot sauce or yeah. pickles. I like crack. He said it like it was saying, I like fishing. Yeah. I mean, yeah. hey, it, 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 a man's got to know his his uh, his lane. Mm. Um, but I think that to me is, you know, that has made guitar music much more relevant than it has been in years. Mm. Because, you know, rock, they don't want to be stars anymore. And rappers do. Mm. And, you know, I don't even consider most... People consider the quote unquote emo rappers or trap metal people to be like rap people. They're really not. You know what I mean? There's some that might be a little bit you know, like so small is probably more on that side of things. But, you know, like all those goth boy click kids, they're not rappers. And the rap you know, community doesn't relate to them or see them as being know, involved with what they're doing at all. Like, yeah, they yeah. don't know or care at all about that mm. stuff. It is 100 percent culturally part of rock. It's dope that all that stuff exists but to sort of act like that's even close to the mainstream of rap or of stuff that's really popular you know like even right you know somebody like juice world though is kind of like yeah. the 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 one who sort of rose through obviously little peach career was cut super short but juice world really took like that sort of flavor but really he was so hip-hop too like he just yeah. made so many straight rap songs and was such a good rapper that he was able to navigate between the two in a way that was kind of different but he brought attention to, you know, the guitar music that he did like, that's true, yeah. you know, Post Malone would be another person doing that. So I, I think that's kind of made it 
relevant to a younger generation that otherwise, like, why would anybody, you know, under 30 something know that yellow card exists other than the fact (laughs) that, you know, Juice World may or may not have, you know, taken a melody from them. Right. Yeah. That has been a weird one to hear all these like rap kids being like, what the fuck is yellow card? And I'm just like silently over here. (laughs) Like, yeah. I remember Yellow Card, okay. Yeah, and I mean, that's a good example of how, it, you know, that how rap is making rock relevant again in a way that, or, you know, all, this, all the people that Travis Barker works with and blah, blah, blah. You know, it, it, uh, that to me is the most interesting thing that's happened to guitar music in a long time. Mm. Totally unrelated, but I remember one time my friend dragged me to a brand new show in probably 2008 and just really, you know, 2008, I'm like, uh, like 26, and just realizing like, oh, like, this is what girls are doing. Yeah, yeah. I'm like, you, like you're going to all these hardcore and rap shows. Like this is, if you want to meet girls, you got to just go yeah. to the brand new shows and shit. Yeah, definitely. I, and I never, I, I'm just not at all. That's some more like kind of indie end mm. of pop punk and emo and stuff. And I just don't resonate with that at all. Mm. You know, I, I feel just that. don't get it. It's small peepee energy to me. I like a lot of emo and stuff, but definitely, never like always liked it and actually watching your shit about indie rock really expressed pretty much exactly how i've always felt about indie rock which is that musically i find a lot of it pretty it's fine and compelling i'll like listen to like a lot of those bands realistically but have never related to the culture of it at all or like found any of it interesting and like even even now when i'm like watching documentaries on netflix about like folk bands and stuff i'm just realizing like wow this is music i always liked but that i never felt any need to learn about Right. And I think, uh, and, and people think I'm being gatekeepy when I say this, I, I, I don't mean it this way at all, but I, I think that, uh, we don't identify with it because we, uh, come from too much of a dysfunctional background. Mm. You know what I mean? Like to us, it's like too bland. You know what I mean? Because our bar for stimulation and connecting with something emotionally requires more darkness than those people have in them. Right. And that's not a bad thing. I'm happy for them. And yeah. I'm not like, oh, you're not as edgy as me. But you don't want to take your art in from somebody who basically I, I is boring. I just can't, you know, <laughs> yeah. and that's not a, not a knock. And that explains why it's more popular than the stuff I like, because most people are, you know, not as interested in or not as drawn to darkness as we are and that's just the way it is i've listened to a lot more chief keith than chance the rapper in my life there you go (laughs) that says a lot (laughs) um how did you end up in the relationship that you're in because i feel like one thing that we have in common that you've mentioned is that we both basically ended up in relationships with normies yeah well uh, and she doesn't really understand your interests as much like my girl is very foreign to a lot of the well, drill rap stuff. She 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 looks like a normie, but she's into all this stuff. I mean, she listens oh, okay. to hardcore and stuff. She was into like metalcore and all that kind of stuff. Oh, okay. Um, I kind of got the idea from your shit that she was sort of totally in the dark, and I was like, I wonder how someone so subculture got into that relationship. Well, she was not into hardcore, you know, mm. which is different. Being into like emo and metalcore is different than being into hardcore. You know, what not I mean? as clear a sign of mental illness. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. <laughs> When you go to hardcore shows, sometimes doesn't yes. it feel like that? Like, man, you got to be kind of crazy to want to be here. If yeah. you don't go to one for a long time. I mean, people don't get into bands called Hair, Hate Breed, Terror, and Death Threat because everything's fucking cool. And those all seem like pretty nice bands in the realm of things. There's you know? like, much worse. Yeah. Like, I would always be like wearing a Hate Breed shirt and having somebody ask me if it was like a racist thing or something. Right. It, it looks like it would be. Right. 
Like, that would I mean, be a really good either. name for a racist man. <laughs> right. If you came <laughs> out with a band called Hate Breed in 2021, would anyone believe you if you said that it wasn't a racist thing? I don't know. Yeah, no, probably not. Uh, and the flames, you know, it, it, mm. it, you know, lots of things about it seem, to be clear for anybody listening, not a racist band whatsoever. What kind of band do you think Chet Hanks would have been in if he was born 20 years earlier? Gosh. <laughs> Good question. Uh, it occurs to me that he could have easily been at a hardcore show. Sure. Life had been a little different. Who, was it um, Kevin Bacon's son, I think, is in like a crust band? Mm. Or was, I think? I remember having that conversation on, online back in the day and being so in awe that somebody who was Kevin Bacon's son could want to be involved with that at all and imagine imagine how hard it is for him to like come out to his friends that he's kevin bacon so he's like well you know guys there's something you should know about me <laughs> i i hope you don't think less of me if you do i understand but i just i just have to be honest with you you know this is my dad and then he slides a picture of kevin bacon across the table living out here i don't really see anyone reacting negatively to it because yeah. it's kind of normal to be like close to celebrity out here whereas like where i grew up is like but put on your like you know western mass exactly, hardcore yeah. show hat mm. you know and like there's there's gonna be a beating definitely that would be a weird and it's so funny to think that your dad being successful is like something that you could right. be ashamed of <laughs> right yeah yeah, it's it's funny. You gotta you know you gotta pull out your uh, your your paperwork and show them how many like dysfunction boxes you check in order for them to take you seriously. And it's still like that. Like there's a rapper Rob Banks who's Shaggy's his dad, and by all accounts, oh, I didn't know that. And by all accounts, Shaggy was not very involved as a dad. Yeah, shocking. And I mean, for he's got to hear about this for the rest of his life. Yeah. Like his whole time as a rapper, like people bring it up as if it's their fucking trump card. Right, right. It's like why? Like, yeah, I'm I'm, a, I'm aware of who my father is, and he wasn't present. So if you're yeah. looking for trauma, I mean, what could be your dad being Shaggy and he's not around? <laughs> I mean, that does sound kind of. Yeah, I mean, your dad could be, you know, Vanilla Ice. Mm. That would, you know, but that you should do a video about Vanilla Ice because I, in my learning about him, I basically realized that he was very much like a respected rapper at a time, and then he came out with that song, and yeah. that song was doing very well, and then all of a sudden they lampooned the song on Saturday Night Live, and it was like overnight he just became this fucking laughing stock right. who basically like poisoned the well for uh for for white rappers for decades to come. Sure. Yeah, I mean, I, that sounds about right to me. I, I can't speak to him being a respected rapper before that, but definitely I remember when that song came out and everybody made fun of it for, you know, a solid decade. Right. Have you ever watched his Home Improvement show? He was on Home Improvement? Uh, no, he had a Home Improvement oh, show. Really? It's called The Vanilla Ice Project. Wow. Where he'll, like, you know, fix up the basement or put in a hot tub or something. It's great. Wow. He's really, really good on camera. And he seems like just genuinely stoked about home improvement. Seems to really know his shit. Wow, that's awesome! He'll I love like putting a new driveway or something. I just interviewed Twister. He's a gun uh, instructor now. Oh, huh. so he's literally from like the murder capital of the United States. He's pretty much the first Chicago rapper ever. Chicago's known for having like unbelievable amounts of bloodshed, and now yeah. he's out here trying to teach people. Probably not mostly those rappers, but right. you know, teach some people how to use guns safely. That's cool. I wonder how many rappers know how to like you know, break down and clean a gun and all that sort of stuff. Like how much do they know about guns? The number of incidents that I know about in which a rapper discharged a firearm accidentally in a home and either like almost shot their homie or, or you know, whatever is pretty large. That's one thing that I would say that rap has been pretty good at keeping a lid on is just how many rappers have discharged firearms in places that they shouldn't have because usually they 
kind of understand that that's not something to advertise. <laughs> yeah, that's not that you don't get any clout for that. Mm. But for, man, I mean, there's like there are things that I wish I knew about. Like I interviewed King Vaughn maybe a uh, year ago. That was a year ago. And since then, I have seen like conversations that he had on Twitter about basically like murders that he had committed. Yeah. And the extent to which he was airing himself out on Twitter and just thinking nothing of it is baffling. Like, I don't, I don't know how I didn't know when I interviewed him, but that stuff's all out there now. And it's fucking insane. It's wild to me the amount of, I guess, like self dry snitching that yes. happens in rap now. And they must, I mean, they must understand what they're doing and they don't care and they feel like it's going to catch up with them one or I don't understand. Mm. I mean, in particular, like, I mean, young people doing that, I look at it and I'm like, holy fuck, you guys are insane. But also I kind of understand it. The fact that NBA young boy is about to do 10 years for like possession of firearms by a felon. And it's because he just wanted to ha like be holding them in the music video and shit. Right. Yeah, exactly. I it's mean, like you, these people know that you can't have a gun when you're on parole and you can't hang out with your gang when you're on parole and you, you know, putting that in a music video that's going to get millions of views. Like they have to understand where this goes. The video didn't even come out. The cops managed to confiscate the memory cards from the cameras that had oh, the wow. footage of him holding all the guns and stuff. And I mean... NBA young boy free on the streets is probably worth like $10 million a year or some yeah. shit. Like he could just make so much money by touring and putting out music that him putting himself in that position for basically like his love of being a gangster and, and playing with guns. I mean, it's like unthinkable from the perspective of like a rational person. The only way you can really understand it is just that he is so that thing that he just pathologically compelled to do it. Yeah. He just cannot resist the guns and the bullshit. And I mean, even, and that's his best behavior too. Cause it's not like anybody got shot in this right. music video. This is just them holding guns and he couldn't hold back from that even. It's, it's just surprising to me. I mean, I, I used to do graffiti when I was younger and the idea of graffiti writers being on Instagram <laughs> is crazy to me. Yeah. And there's, I mean, there's a lot of the older ones that aren't for mm -hmm. that. Or if they've gotten busted and you know, the cops already knew who they are and you know, stuff like that. But the amount of people like uh, airing their stuff out like that is interesting to me. And people who know better, like Casanova, like mm. he's been around the fucking block. Having all these Instagram conversations about selling drugs just in the DMs so the, the, the investigators are able to just read his DMs yeah, and just I mean, basically piece together his whole criminal he, enterprise. He, he understands, yeah, he knows how this stuff works. And it's, I, I don't, I just, I don't understand why they go there. I, I just don't understand. Yeah. It's like, you, you just, I mean, I don't know the extent to which anybody really needs to be like taught to be a better criminal, but it does <laughs> does stand out like that. Like, holy fuck, like how could you guys be this bad at this? And, and like when I when I when it even occurs to me when I think about myself in the perspective of somebody on a TV show who's like going out to commit a murder or whatever, I'm just like, this shit's impossible because you can't yeah, bring your yeah. phone with you. So that's right. number one. If you're gonna go kill someone, you can't bring your phone with you. And if you leave your phone at home, then you're going to have to explain to right. the cops what you were doing for those couple hours and why your phone didn't have any activity during that time period. Because you carry the world's most like accurate surveillance device with you at all times. You know? And like your car has GPS in it. Yeah. They could get into your car and figure out that you went there. Like right. there's just so many things. Not to mention the cameras. Not to mention if you... What are you going to do? You're going to rent a car? I mean, that goes back to you too. I don't understand how people... I guess I understand how by just dumb chance people get away with sure. doing stuff like that, but I don't understand how they could go into it thinking 
that they would be able to get away with it. And especially in the place of Chicago where there's so many murders that never get solved and it doesn't even seem like there's any chance of them ever being solved. I mean, a lot of those just happen on the street. So it's like less to track. Nobody cares enough about, you know, this particular case to try to close it. I mean, you get 10 people killed in a weekend. It's like, well, how much resources do the cops really have to dig into this anyway, I guess? I've thought about like, uh, you know, like in Red Dead Redemption and stuff. I think about like in those games, you can just go kill somebody behind the saloon. And as long as nobody sees you, you got away with it. And I was like, man, I guess that's how it was back then. I think a lot of Chicago gangster kids think that that's basically how life works. And from their lived experience, it probably basically is. That's probably true. That's probably true. No, that that definitely is. I mean, just we live in a surveillance state. Like I fucking, I was uh, reading about or watching an interview with this dude, Gorilla Black, who's like a rapper from the early 2000s. He just got out of prison doing nine years on credit card fraud. It's the exact same shit that I used to do with my friends. Go, go do credit card fraud. He just did it like 15 years after when there's fucking right. cameras everywhere. And they caught him, I think, just from ha- like tracking his license plate in the parking lot of the mall. I mean, we parked in the parking lot of the mall when we were sure. doing that shit hundreds of times and never got caught. Yeah, yeah. It's... uh. I don't know how anybody thinks they're going to get away with any crime now, which is why I do not commit crimes. Mm, same. I don't even I don't even mess around with torrents. You don't? No, nothing. Squeak clean. Do you know anyone's ever got coffee using a torrent? Uh, yes. Hob from 18 Visions got a nasty letter. <laughs> <laughs> I think he downloaded a Harry Potter movie or something wow, for his really? daughter. <laughs> Damn. Well, that's why you need NordVPN. That's right. <laughs> yeah. Um, I... Yeah, I used to torrent and stream shit illegally all the time. Now I don't really do it because it's just inconvenient. Yeah, exactly. I'd rather just pay five bucks. The, oh, no, that's a lie. I did torrent The Room mm. because it's not, you know that movie? No. With Tommy Wiseau, like the worst movie ever made. You know, oh, hi, Mark. No. Oh, man, you got to see it. I got to find out about it's, this. It's amazing. Uh, when I met my girl, she had every streaming service. And I'm like, wow, I'm <laughs> never going to Pirate Bay again. Well, The Room is not available online anywhere oh i wouldn't feel bad about that no i don't feel bad about it and i would i would have preferred to just buy it you know but instead of having to torrent and then connect my computer to the tv and all that shit and like um but yeah i mean the the there's so much good stuff out there that you can do legally like why it's just not even worth the hassle of pirating yeah it's pretty crazy because uh you know they basically got rid of piracy or at least like made it difficult by making it more easy to not pirate shit like iTunes is just so much easier than Pirate Bay. Never mind. Like I don't even know how a fuck I would get those MP3s onto my phone. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I don't even know. <laughs> sure, I could figure it out, but I, I know. Who, yeah, who wants to do that? Why the fuck would I do that when I could pay ten bucks a month? Which is not that you still see people pirate like these boxing matches like crazy because right. it is like a hundred bucks for like three hours of entertainment. What What do you think about the, about uh, you know the the Paul brothers and you know their boxing stuff? I just think that they're they're both smart as fuck for figuring this out and they're both like kind of shameless as fuck enough to like really do all this shit like jake paul i don't know if there's anyone who's influenced him as much as floyd mayweather in terms of this persona Mm -hmm. that he has now is like oh you hate me yeah i guess i might as well just play the villain floyd yeah i mean floyd gave connor the playbook and connor gave everyone else the playbook this is true yeah i i think that because you know uh, floyd used to be uh, pretty boy Floyd or mm. no no he, uh, money what was it money Mayweather back in the day and then right. he, and then he became the Floyd that he is now right pretty boy Floyd I think uh, whatever the fuck it was he had a heel turn is, is the point right and that's when he because he's kind of a boring fighter because mm. he's super defensive and like he's actually boring to watch right and nobody wanted to watch him he doesn't knock anyone out he just plays defense then he became the heel and he blew the fuck up and everyone was like oh so 
real sports is just like wrestling, only the outcomes out aren't predetermined. Mm, definitely, yeah. He, he just figured that out, dude. And, like, the Jake Paul thing is crazy because they're saying right now that, that he might be signing to Drake for management. Why not? I mean, He's I... He's making enough money that it makes sense. I have a hard time imagining Jake uh, Drake getting behind Jake Paul, like... It's still Jake Paul at the end of the day. Like, I mean, I, I guess like maybe it's just so obvious that he's going to be super successful. But in terms of Drake and this brand that he's been creating over the years, it's kind of hard to imagine him wanting to, you know, link up with Jake Paul to such an extent. I remember when Drake was just universally clowned by everybody, and then like 2011 or 12 or whatever, and then a couple years later. Everybody was like, you know what? Actually, he's kind of cool. And now right. he's like universally respected. And I find it very interesting people who are able to kind of flip that. Right. The question is really just when we're going to leave the Drake era. Because he's basically just been like the right. god of rap for so long that it's almost impossible to... And I've even heard people recently say like, this is the little baby era now. It's not the Drake era anymore. And if Drake put out a project that was like really underwhelmingly received, I guess I could kind of understand that logic better. It's impossible to say, you know, it's just like with sports, you know, mm. just because somebody beats the long reigning champ, it doesn't mean that the person who beat them now, you know, is going to have the same legacy. So, mm. you know, in any genre, some new artist might come along, but until they've been able to stay on top for 10 years like that, we don't, we don't know. And even if we could point out some rappers and say, look at this guy, he's, he's doing better than Drake on this metric. Right. Jake, Drake just crushes every metric. So across the board that it would be, once you had somebody that really consistently sold more albums or their tours were bigger or they were just a bigger star, then you could start having that conversation. But I mean, I don't, I don't see anyone who's even close to that, that level. I don't understand why people like Drake because he's terrible. You don't like him? He's terrible. Like it literally, the stuff where where it sounds like he may have written his own lyrics, it sounds like a joke. <laughs> it's like Dr. Seuss. <laughs> I'm the man with the plan. There's a little bit of that. Yeah. Some of the, the 4 a.m. in Vegas or whatever. I, I mean, I, I still think of him the same way people did, you know, in 2011 mm. as basically just like a clown. Wow. Um, you know, and, and I'm obviously out of touch because nobody else thinks that way. Mm. So I, I, it's one of these things where I just don't understand why people like him. Yeah, I mean, I think when you really want to look at, like, talent, hits, you know, everything. Like, he just really, like, and honestly, like, I feel like I fell even more in love with his character, like, when I saw him live and just really started to get the feeling of, like, wow, this guy's a fucking athlete of music oh, like when I, you, I respect him when you see somebody crush a live show the way that he did i was just like i don't know if i've ever seen anybody do what he just did like in terms of the length of time the number of hits the way he had the audience captivated the amount of movement that he just had on stage on stage and I, I hate when people bring up live performance when they're talking about why a musician is good because i just feel like i don't it's kind of i don't give a shit about live shows right because that's what I, I will forever try to have a conversation that you're basically having with me about drake but about travis scott where uh -huh. i just like some of why he's so amazing musically is kind of lost on me and it's always like you got to go to a show and i'm like no I, I don't want to. if i have to go to a <laughs> yep. show then it's not that good bro. that's how i feel too like because yeah. then it's not about the music right you know it's about the experience you had there which is cool and good on them for providing you know an experience that whatever twenty thousand people wanted to pay 300 bucks for and when you have the most fans it's not that hard to have an amazing show even though i do hear from everybody these amazing live and shit and i i believe that he is but to me that's a separate conversation mm. you know of like that's that's one facet of what they do but if that's i agree with you that like if you have to go to that then to me that's sort of like a sign that 
maybe something doesn't add up. I think because I forever will have the conversation on this podcast about how rappers are not that great live. Yeah, they're terrible. And I really feel like I feel that way only because of my upbringing going to hardcore shows yes. and shit where it's like when you see a tight metal band perform, it's just like a thing of wonder. Like you That's guys, why Ghostman is good live mm. because he played in metal bands. He always has a live band though? Uh, no, but just oh, like him, okay. I think he does now. Yes, yeah. like it's like twitching tongues. I think basically. Okay. Um, but uh, yeah, I mean he's really good live because he played in hardcore and metal bands, so mm. he understands what that is supposed to be. Right. You know, and uh, compared to fill in the blank, you know, mid two thousands like ringtone rapper that just stands there like holding the mic, saying every like eighth word over a backing track. And even the rappers like that are the greatest of all time in my book, like a Gucci Mane, who I think of, you know, is basically one of the defining artists of my life when he performs live, he walks back and forth and he puts his finger in the yeah, air. Right. And right, that's it. Right. There's nothing else. Right. Every now and then says one word. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Even if he's rapping like a decent percentage of it, it's just he's not really giving you that much of himself, which right. I respect as a businessman, the yeah. fact that he has this incredible career and that he hasn't really had to like go get sweaty on stage ever. But I mean, when you get like just the, the, the vibe of a hardcore show with all these kids trying to kill each other is just the fucking best. Like that's just, yeah. and, and not even that, just, just the playing of the instruments in all together is like, you're just, it's really something to witness in comparison to the rap thing. Yeah. I mean, the standard is just like so much higher mm -hmm. in, in rock and especially like in metal and hardcore where, you know, the level of like intensity and the shit's hard to play, mm. you know, they just think about it differently than rappers do. I think to rappers, it's like a glorified club appearance. Mm. You know what I mean? They've got 85 people on stage, which I guess happens with hardcore too. But, you know, <laughs> hardcore, it's a contest of like who can stand on the side of the stage looking the most disinterested, mm. you know, to prove how cool they are. Yeah, that is a weird part is that some rap shows are like, there's 80 people on stage with the, the rapper and then some rap shows are if you try to get on stage with the rapper for even a moment the security is gonna fucking manhandle you right, right. It's like very different vibes yeah I, I i've been to like a handful of rap shows but especially when i was most into that stuff i lived in cincinnati and it just wouldn't have been a good idea to go see you know gucci main in cincinnati in 2010 you know would not have been wise i could see it getting cracking there yeah yeah for sure. Um, what are you most excited about in your life uh, that you have going on right now? Or what are your, your goals going forward at this moment? Stuff you're excited about? You know, it sounds corny, but the older I get, the more I just am grateful to be alive and healthy and have a family and people I care about. And the older I get, the more, like I saw, you know, you posted about this. Congratulations on the, the family, by the way. Appreciate it. Thanks. The older I get, the more I realize that the only thing that really matters is spending time with the people you care about like you know money and work and all that other stuff is cool and it's you know it's fun but none of it matters unless you have like your health and people you care about mm. you know how many people are there that have uh built an amazing business but they're uh unhealthy and their marriage fell apart and their kids hate them because dad worked all the time and didn't spend any time with them and mm. how do you think that person feels being 60 years old with fucking $20 million in the bank, but they're pre-diabetic and their family hates them. Yeah, no, that's that's where I'm at 100% in the sense that five years ago or even you know a couple years ago, my mentality was 100% like, how can I work more? How can I make more shit? How can I be more productive? And there's a time and a place for that. Right, but now I find myself more often thinking, you know, like how can I 
you know, maybe like I want to wake up earlier so I can like get more shit done, but also have like more time that I could just hang out yeah. with my kid. And I mean, my kid is five months, so it's like there ain't a lot that I'm like feeling like I'm missing out on. But, but it's all, I mean, it's only going to get worse over time where I'm going to feel like, holy yes. shit, if I'm in the office 60 hours a week, maybe I'm missing out on something. And your you know? kid's only going to be five months old once. Yeah. And you're never going to be able to get that time back, yeah. you know? And I, there's, you know, I think about, you know, like with my wife, I think about if I was on my deathbed or she, worse, if she was on her deathbed, I would give every fucking penny I've ever had for like literally one more minute with her, Yeah. you know, in a fucking second for one minute. So why don't I take that minute now mm. while I actually have it instead of, you know, regretting not having it in the future. So like she, she worked for Amazon for six years. She actually just quit her job last week to do YouTube full time. Oh, and wow. so now we're able to spend all our time together and, you know, obviously we're making less money than we would have before, but so what, you know, we have enough to live comfortably. Do we need more? And what's better, you know, having tens of thousands of dollars more in the bank or spending eight hours a day together? Right. I have a friend who had just recently realized that a, his wife is basically a billionaire because of her dad, like her dad was like some insanely successful uh, business guy. And he works like, you know, probably 10 hours a day, Monday through Friday. And they don't have any kids. And that was very confusing to me because I'm like, bro, if she got a billion dollars, what the fuck yeah. are you doing not impregnating her? I like, listen, if she, <laughs> if she can't or she really doesn't yeah. want to, I get it. But if she can, what the fuck are you doing? And also, that sounds kind of crazy to be working that like much why? when you don't really have yeah. like, like, and you make good money, but you know, your version of good money is obviously not touching whatever the fuck she's already yeah. got. But who cares? What's the difference really? I mean, I'm not rich by any means, but I have more money than I ever thought I would when I was a kid. Mm. And I think about what if I had twice as much money than I, as I do right now, would it make me any happier? No, it wouldn't change my life at all. Maybe mm. we could buy a bigger house, but for what? Yeah. It could buy a nicer car that my friends would pretend to be impressed by for 15 seconds, but, but for what? And when you're having that mental conversation about taking time off, I feel like maybe it's easier to justify working your ass off all the time. If you are the kind of person that always needs money for new cars and yeah. shit, it's like, what am I working my ass off for? I guess I don't care about the business and like making sure that everybody involved with it is straight. But at a certain point, it's like, if I do another couple interviews in a week, it's like, what is another couple of thousand yeah. dollars? Like what is, if it, if it really is going to negatively impact my mental health, then I probably just need to start saying no to things at a yep. certain point to maintain balance. You know, there's a time in your career where you should say yes to absolutely everything. Mm. Like, you know, when, when I graduated zero, yeah. Yes. When I graduated from college, I owed $90,000. You yeah. know, I had to fucking get out of that hole. Mm. I got out of that hole. There's a certain point at which then you need to start saying no to stuff for mm. different reasons. And I'm happy that I'm at the point where, you know, saying no is the right answer. And so to answer your question, what I'm excited about is just being in that position. And really, I just want to spend as much time with the people I care about as I can and, you know, keep my health in a good place and just be present and be grateful for whatever is happening at the moment. Hell yeah. When's the last time you moshed? Oh, uh, probably I went to go see the hate breed, uh, perseverance 20th anniversary tour or 10th, whenever it was like 2011. I guess it was 10th, yeah, 10th anniversary. Mm. So 2011, never a big mosher because I was, you know, around a lot of 
heavy duty people, uh, and I don't want to. <laughs> I don't want any part of that. When I look back on it, I almost feel like my fascination with hardcore almost might have had more to do with the moshing than the than the music at well, times. You're a big guy. You probably got a good thirty or forty pounds on me. You know, I'm not a big person. Yeah, but I think I, my my obsession with it was less about doing it and more about just trying to understand why the fuck all these other people were doing it and why they were so into it and like. You know, I just witnessed in Boston, I witnessed some really fucking crazy shit in mosh pits that I've never, like seeing Converge play Metal Fest, I think was probably by far the most violence I've ever seen in like an hour long period. And I mean, I've been around for like riots and shit. And I I, I told, I don't know know if I believe that. I told this uh, story in a, in a video, but, uh, well, I saw Hatebreed with, uh, Cannibal Corpse in Cincinnati in like 2009, I think. And, at that time, Cincinnati hardcore scene was super, super violent. And these are mm. my friends who were, you know, part of the violence. So I wasn't personally at risk. But at that time, it was like really gnarly. And, you know, what would always happen is they were all real into metal. So they would go see these metal bands. And some metal guy wouldn't understand what was happening. And he'd like push one of them and get the shit kicked out of him. And, you know, my friend had just gotten stabbed at a show a couple years before that and stuff. So it was like real violent. And, and I went to go see Hatebreed with Cannibal Corpse. And I was like, I'm literally afraid that somebody's going to get killed because someone had gotten killed at that venue before. Mm. Uh, and that's like the level of violence that happens at those kind of hardcore shows that you're talking about. And you're like, there's a non-zero chance that somebody's going to get killed. Right. And I'm not making light of that. It's just the it's just reality. And so for that reason, I, just moshing. I'm not a I, I'm not in, I'm not a risk taking person mm. for the most part. And so just like I don't need to do this. Some people have like a desire to go fucking mosh when they see bands. I'd rather actually watch the band. Mm. Uh, so that why put myself in harm's way and you know potentially get my fucking jaw broken if I don't have to. I remember seeing this dude like just sort of like punching backwards into the crowd and he really went like boom boom and just like broke two people's noses sure like back to back boom boom blood spraying everywhere that meant that image will never leave my mind yeah i mean what exactly so like strangers complete strangers for people who are trying to understand what i'm talking about yeah Yeah. there's if if you don't understand it don't feel bad because it doesn't make any sense i've Mm. seen the same kind of thing happen a million times Mm. just like i don't want to be that guy getting his nose broken who was just standing there watching the bassist and then all of a sudden his nose exploded there was a point in my life where i didn't go to a hardcore show for a long time and then i went to a hardcore show and as it was starting someone just like jumps and just kicks my fucking head and i just had a really strong feeling right there like the part of my life where this made a lot of sense to me might be over <laughs> yeah yeah and you know if that's what you want to do with yourself you know go for it but uh yeah. moshing never a big thing for me it's entertaining to watch though mm-hmm. you know fighting the invisible ghost zombie ninjas yeah when i see videos of people moshing online that I, I can't look away there's so many things about hardcore getting back to what you're saying at the beginning where trying to explain it to like a sane person you know, at a certain point, you just sort of trail off because you're like, there's nothing I can say that's going to make this add up. I'm wondering what the fuck Laura is thinking for some of these <laughs> parts of our conversation because she just doesn't know that version of me or she probably is surprised I even know that much about this topic. And I just like, you know, if I were to sh- like, I went through a period in my life where I would go on YouTube here and there and type like mosh pit fight uh-huh. and find some compilations and shit. And Dude, you see some shit in those mosh pit fights, especially at big like radio station festivals and yeah. stuff. You see people interacting with each other in that environment and violently that you would, that I don't even, I would never know that any of these people existed. 
Right. Like the weirdest fucking people, particularly white people. Yes. You just wear, like I would never ever see you or know that you existed and you're in the mosh pit beating the fuck out of some other obese person. <laughs> For what? Why? For nothing. Well, Rob Zombie plays. <laughs> Rob Zombie does not give two shits about this fight that's happening like yeah. so far away from him. Yeah. I remember one of the scarier things that I experienced was uh, I saw All Out War with, uh, I want to say it was Cold as Life uh, in Cleveland in 98, maybe, mm. which is a scary enough prospect of those two bands playing together because both of them draw lots of scary monsters. But what was scary about it is this, this sketchy venue think it might have been the blind lemon but i don't remember it's in cleveland and it had like a glass like dance floor you know like glass blocks and everyone was like moshing and stuff and i'm sure that you know nobody considered the fact that they were on a glass floor it didn't break but i was like this is you know this is the kind of thing you end up seeing on the local news like you know seven youths injured today when a dance floor collapses you're making me remember a lot of other traumatic images that i have in my head like Seeing Hatebreed, they had to play under like a fake band name for a period of time because they're like on an official tour, I think, and then they're just playing random shows or there's like you know, a, a festival that they're playing where right. they can't tour during in this area or some shit like that. And I'm just watching people mosh and I saw a dude just like run from one side of the pit to the other and just dive and basically punch a fucking merch girl in the head. He dived over like 15, 20 feet of fucking people yeah. and somehow just, and, and the weirdest part about it and part of what made me so fascinated by it was that it didn't seem like anyone thought he had done anything wrong or that right. this was like, even right. though it was pretty obvious to me, he was targeting, hitting this person, but somehow in the context of a mosh pit, it's just okay. Well, it depends who it is. You know, if oh, he was, always, a, you know yeah. what I mean? If he was a made man in the scene, then everyone yeah. will apologize for him. If not, then they'll fucking beat up an inch of his life. You know, yeah. depending if it's on some important dude's girlfriend, then he's going to get the shit beat up. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And it was, it's, you know, just like high school lunch table politics, but with, mm. you know, a mosh soundtrack, uh, you know, and that's just, that's just part of the hardcore scene. People ask me about this a lot, you know, like in my comments, like, Oh, what do you think about crowd killing and crews and all this stuff? And my answer is always like, I think it's kind of dumb, but I don't really have anything to say about it because it just is part of the scene and mm. for better or for worse, who, who am I to, you know what I mean? It's like criticizing dogs for licking their balls. Like yeah. it's just what they do. And if you don't like it, don't have a dog. And, you know, people may think that it's uh, cynical of me to say, well, if you don't like that kind of stuff, don't go to hardcore shows. But nothing I say is going to change the fact that that stuff happens at hardcore shows. That's the that's what it is. And if you don't like it, then which is totally understandable. You, you probably, right. If you're saying you shouldn't like it. I'm like trying to imagine like a hip hop commentator saying like there shouldn't be gangs in hip hop. Yeah, right. <laughs> it's like, all right, right, good luck, buddy. Exactly. It's like, <laughs> well, yeah, probably not. But yeah, that'd be great. Yeah. I don't know what to tell you. Right. You know? Doesn't seem likely. Yeah, it just is. It's part of the. It's part of the. It's part of the thing. And uh, you know, just don't be part of the hardcore scene if you don't like it. And that's totally okay. Mm, for sure. I got a piece of bed. I'm gonna piss my pants. So uh, you know, I appreciate this conversation. That was really yeah, good. Thanks for having me. Thanks so much, Finn McKenty. Am I saying it right? Yes, sir. Just wanted to make sure. Finn McKenzie, Punk Rock NBA. Go throw him a subscribe. No Jumper, coolest podcast in the world. Check us on YouTube, SoundCloud, iTunes. Like, comment, and subscribe. And we will be on stream on Friday listening to your music. So tune in. Appreciate you, man. You too.
All right, my friends, that does it for this episode of the podcast. If you made it this far, thank you. Thank you for listening. We sincerely appreciate each and every one of you. If you want to help the show, there's a couple things that you can do. First of all, share it on social media. If you share it, tag us, tag Finn McKenty, that's me, and tag Deanna Chapman, that's a producer. Second thing you can do, if you really, really, really love us and really want to support us, you can support us on Patreon. There's a link to that in the show notes. You can leave a review on Apple Podcasts or wherever else you're listening to this, or you can do none of that, and you can just sit at home, think about how awesome this podcast is. That works too. Again, thank you very much to each and every one of you for listening. We sincerely appreciate it, and we'll see you next time. Hey, guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun, too. It's a thing, and now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun, Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino-style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. What's up, everyone? This is Jay Reason. I want to let you all know that Diablo Zen Podcast is now part of the Sound Talent Media family. Listen in as me and the one and only Danny Diablo, a.k.a. Lord Ezak, interview artists from the hardcore punk, metal, hip-hop scenes, and beyond. We have conversations with guests like actor Peter Green, DJ Muggs from Cypress Hill, L.A. street photographer Estevan Oriol, Jimmy G from New York City's legendary Murphy's Law, and pro wrestler Vampiro, to name a few. If you're a fan of good discussions and lots of laughs, tune in and join the fun.